All right, guys, we're going to get going here tonight. Uh, if you could just let me know if the audio is good, um, let me know if that's running good. I'm using a different program tonight, so a thumbs up would be appreciated. Um, I'm going to bring the energy up tonight. I'm excited to do another live stream. It seems like I got these going at the end of the month now, so it's uh, it's already been a month. It's crazy uh, how how much time passes in a month, so I'll uh, touch on uh, some updates with what's going on with my Fidelity portfolio. Got some exciting news there. Um, what's going on? We got Beach Girl in the building. What's going on? She's a private member. By the way, shout out to all of our private members. This list, by the way, I mean, this thing keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, but I'm just going to start from the top here. Our My first private member, Scott. Shout out to you, Kevin P., longtime member. Stanley, you as well. Zod, Richard, and Atelier 17. We got Beach Girl. I already saw her in the building. Alex B, uh, Buck, Conscious, there's Anatoly. What's going on, man? Uh, Carnivore Nurse, uh, Justin, JP, and our newest member, Deborah. There's Conscious. Shout out to you. All right. This is going to be a fun night, guys. So like I said, I got a lot of updates. Uh, I'm going to update the Fidelity portfolio. I'm going to give you a little bit of a message, too, about uh, basically uh, having a long-term mindset, right? So I've been running into a lot of different YouTube videos where People are talking about, you know, swing trading, day trading, stocks, and all this nonsense that I keep hearing. So I just want to reiterate my message and, and, and you know, give you the long-term approach uh, in everything that I talk about. Because, of course, everything I share with you guys is really for the long run, right? Like, I have no idea what's going to happen next year or in two years or in five years. But there's a pretty good likelihood or probability that over the long term, these types of investments in, in good broadly diversified uh, low cost index funds will pay off. Um, so yeah, with that started, uh, with that out of the way, let's get started with the Fidelity update first. So I'm going to make a whole video about this, by the way, but um, the Yolo Monkey Swing Trade starts. Yeah, no, not, not yet, not yet. Um, what's up? Uh, we got Bobo Leroy. How's it going, Bobo? We give a shout out to all these guys. There's our uh, private members here, Anatili, Beach Girl. Awesome. But yes, um, the Fidelity portfolio. So the update with that is, uh, I think I've made it public here on the channel. I could be wrong, but um, I sold my property back in, well, now it's been almost a week and a half or two weeks. So I decided to, I mean, I, I obviously it's a good real estate market, right? So I decided to take some of those uh, proceeds because it was my primary residence and I lived in there for more than two years. So all that is going to be tax-free. Um, so that decided to take some of those profits and invest it in my Fidelity uh, taxable account. So I'll do an update on that. You guys will see that the Fidelity, Fidelity account now is like over $100,000. So don't let that shock you, but I'll explain that all in, in my Fidelity update video. The next thing I want to talk about really is, is about managing expectations. Um, a couple of things that I've gotten right so far in this channel as the channel starts to grow is trying to manage expectations. So um, I don't come on here to try to give you guys like plays. This is going to, you know, this is going to skyrocket or this is going to do great or this is what you should do. Um, a lot of the stuff I like to do is for uh, showing you how I come up with reasons of why I get into funds and trying to educate you on how you can do that for yourself. Um, and it's really going to be up to you to figure out what's the best strategy for you. So I do get a lot of questions about, you know, is this fund better than this fund? Well, a lot of those questions I can't answer because it depends what do you want to get out of the fund, right? Are you trying to get a dividend income out of the fund? Are you trying to, for growth? What's your strategy that you're in? So it's going to be very difficult for me to answer everybody's questions. So just managing your expectations as the channel gets to grow, um, 
I've still made it a point to answer everybody's comments. I'm going to keep doing that as much as I can, but I really, as the channel grows, I think we just passed 7,000 subscribers. It's getting harder and harder. I'm getting like maybe five to six emails a day and probably uh, five to eight to 10 to sometimes 15 comments, depending on when I post the video. So I have been allocating my time trying to do the best I can, but um, it's going to be difficult the bigger it gets. Um, anyways, talking back to index funds, having a long-term perspective and why that's important. Just going back to when I started this channel in 2019, the S&P 500 was at 2,900 points. Um, that was in October of 2019. And I think I didn't check what it was today, but it should be closing pretty close to 4,300. So that's a huge difference, right? In, in a very, I would say, a short amount of time, October 2019 wasn't that long ago um, that the S&P was at 2,900. We obviously had a big crash in March of 2020 in a booming recovery now. Um, but that's not a long-term perspective, right? So everything you've seen on my channel up to this point, I classify or would classify as short-term, right? I don't have uh, 10, 15 years experience in small cap value or even the S&P 500 for that sake. So it's really a, a short snippet of time. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but just be prepared for rockier times. Uh, the market doesn't always go up. Uh, and just understand that a, a lot of these investments are going to have to be set it and forget it type of investments where you're not really studying you know, the market day to day or week to week or month to month. I know I say that a lot. Also, guys, a word of advice for you is to stop tinkering with your portfolios. Another thing, again, as I get bigger, I notice is a lot of people have a very complex portfolios. Um, some people have, you know, individual stocks, index funds, actively managed funds, actively managed ETFs. I mean, they got maybe 60, 70 holdings. Again, if if you can manage that, I'm not going to be the one to tell you to change that. Uh, but if you are going to change it or any any portfolio you might have, if you're going to change it for a simpler strategy or for a uh, maybe three fund or four fund portfolio, just ask yourself, why did I get into this strategy to begin with, right? Because if you're always tinkering, um, and that's my favorite word, I should get a shirt that says don't tinker. Um, but if you're always tinkering, what's going to end up happening is you're going to just be jumping from fund to fund. And believe me, I went through this myself in 2018 and 2019. I was just jumping from fund to fund trying to find the best performing fund and I would always catch it at the top when it was performing really well because that's how I found out about it. And then when I would get in it, it wouldn't perform so well. And, you know, I'd ride it on the way down until I heard about the next big thing. So really don't do that. Don't be chasing stuff you hear about but don't really understand. Uh, figure out a core strategy. Stick to that strategy, whatever it may be. If it's individual stocks, it's individual stocks. That's perfectly fine. But stick to your core strategy and don't change it a lot. Um, I guess unless you're a day trader and that's your job to trade stuff and change your strategy, and then don't listen to that advice either. The last, not the last, but the next piece of advice, um, I do have this on a mug. That mug, that's a pretty popular mug. It, it's a, it's don't peak, right? Um, because investing is this uh, long horizon thing we're talking about 20, 30 years, um, you're only going to uh, stress yourself out really looking at it on a short-term basis and seeing what what it's done, you know, today or the past week or the past month, when in reality, if we're here to build real wealth and we're invested for the long run, it really doesn't matter what the stock market did today, because when I'm 60 years old, I'm not going to remember today. And, you know, the S&P had a great day or a bad day. Who really cares? You know, you're going to remember a couple of days. You're probably going to remember maybe the March 2020 crash if you're heavily invested in it. If not, you probably won't even remember that. But there's going to be many more crashes, many more good days. 
don't stress yourself out on what's going on today in the stock market. Um, again, that's that's a proven way to buy in high and then, and then really get burned on, on the way down. So avoid avoid peaking. And lastly, just understand why you're investing in the first place. I think a lot of people, and I've heard different advice given, but a lot of people don't come into this with a mentality of uh, I'm investing for this or I'm investing for that. Like they don't have a why behind why they're investing um, unless it's just to make a lot of money. And if your reason, if the reason you're in the stock market is to make a lot of money, um, of course, we're all in it to make money and have our investments grow. But if your sole reason is to make a lot of money, you're probably going to take a lot more additional risks that you don't have to take, um, whether it be for greed or whatever the purposes may be, that will end up costing you more money um, more money in the long run. So just remember, uh, have a really strong why and, and focus on that as you're making those deposits and as you're seeing your portfolio grow or even uh, decline depending on the market climate. Just focus on your why and don't worry so much about you know performance or value because those things are all going to be long run measures. Um, so that's really my word of advice as I've been seeing um, a lot of different YouTubers talk about. And I know now like financial YouTubers are a dime a dozen; they're everywhere. Um, but a lot of YouTubers are really doing these you know live streams, market open, market close, uh, checking minute by minute what. AMC stock is doing and just, just bad, it blows my mind. Like, do we not have better things to do in our life than check minute by minute what AMC stock is? Is this something really that's going to matter, you know, five years from now when AMC is wherever it is, whether it's in a company that's gone out of business or whatever the case may be, is this really going to matter? And the answer is, is no. So uh, really just focus on, on not getting caught up in that noise. Um, you know, it's exciting stuff. And believe me, if, if I was back in 2018 and 2019, I would be all over these AMC's, GameStops, uh, crypto coins, whatever the heck they're talking about. Now I'd be all over that, but you have to sort of mature as an investor. And once you have a focus and you have a strategy that you've seen build wealth very quickly, as I've shared in my previous video, a quarter of a million dollars uh, in three years is not chump change from somebody who had a net worth of zero, right? I had a net worth of zero. So uh, I'm not here to sell you a course. This is how I did it. It's so simple how I did it. You know, I, I display it here every in every video. I talk about it. Stay out of debt. Invest in low cost index funds. Tax protect your money. Right. That's how you do it. But you know, a lot of people that are giving advice to younger investors are talking about uh, trading on Robinhood when Robinhood doesn't even have it. At least to my knowledge, doesn't even have a tax advantage account. Like, why are we teaching newer investors? You should be looking at a Roth IRA so that the trades, even if you want to trade, that's perfectly fine. But the trades that you're making are going to be tax protected. So things like that is really um, kind of the goal of this channel and the goal of these live streams, really. And you guys can start right now is start asking questions, right? I, I try to give an hour, hour and a half. Sometimes if, if, if the drinks are flowing, I got my apple juice. If the drinks are flowing, I might give you two, two and a half hours. Um there's no charge for these, right? I'm not here uh, selling financial advice. I'm just a random dude on YouTube who just puts out YouTube videos. Um, and I'm here to learn with you guys. Of course, uh, I don't claim to be an expert. I do study uh, a lot of the academics when it comes to investing, but I'm no expert and I can't predict the future. Unfortunately, nobody else can either. So uh, just remember that. But yeah, you guys start asking your questions. I'll start catching up here in the chat. Um, let's see who else we got. We got... Ator Navarro, what's going on? All right, we got one question already. I think we're, what, 12 minutes in. Let's see what the question is. Your thoughts on 
Schwab U.S. Equity Dividend ETF, ticker symbol SCHD, for both growth and income. Is there any ETF that's good for growth and dividend income? Um, I've covered uh, this one, not particularly this uh, ETF, but I think I did cover its performance compared to the S&P 500 in my uh, dividend, uh, dividend growth video. So I would recommend you check that out. But uh, let me go back to your question. I forgot the second half. Is there an ETF that's good for both growth and dividend income? Yeah. I think the S&P 500 is an ETF that's good for both growth and dividend income, right? Let's not forget uh, the S&P 500 pays dividends. Um, small cap value even pays dividends. They're not that high, but it does. Um, my question to you would be, are you in it for the income because you're getting ready to retire and you're going to live off of this income? Or are you in it because you want to generate cash flows for subsidizing your uh, your uh, monthly paychecks? Um, because if the answer is neither and you just want to see dividends, I think it's a bad strategy. But if there is a reasoning why, then yeah, it is. SCHD is perfectly fine. It's a large cap value type fund that will probably do better than the S&P 500 long term. Uh, just remember with dividends, it's a very, very long, like for the compounding to take effect, you're going to have to have it like 40, 50 years for it to really make a difference. Otherwise, I wouldn't focus too much on the dividend factor unless, again, your uh, your strategy is 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 because you're going to use these in, as a supplement to your income. Uh, Peter Bell says, "Evening, good evening, Mister Bell." All right, we got George Schneider in the house. Says, "Hi, Mucky. I am glad I catch this live. The last one I got into an accident at the beginning. Oh my God! Well, um, hopefully, yeah, your luck has turned around. Uh, sorry to hear you got in an accident." That's terrible, but welcome to the uh, live stream, George. All right, we got another one here. Uh, I just answered your question, but you said you're happy to catch the live. Um, Chad Baker, time to drive. Thanks for the info. All right, Chad, uh, be safe out there. And uh, I'll leave these up, by the way, tonight. You guys can catch this on the replay. Uh, Michael C. is in the house. He says, facts. Is that like facts, like F-A-C-T-X or facts? I, I, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm lost. Uh, Jeffrey M. Hey, what's going on, Jeffrey? A possible nice topic. Common guidance is not to try to time trades on stock index funds, but what about timing bond fund trades? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, here's the thing, Jeffrey, that I've noticed with myself. I think as I get older, I might get better at this, but I'm a, I have really terrible luck when it comes to timing. Like every time I've tried to time something, it's always worked against me. Like it's always been the worst possible timing. Um, so with timing, I'm probably the worst person to ask. Uh, but I, because I, I just don't believe in it. I don't, I think it's so difficult to do, but there is some indication that you can look at. Um, I was actually studying this earlier today between the U.S. total market and the U.S. Uh, total bond market, for example, right? So in 2020, in, in March of 2020, when everything started to fail, that was probably a good time to be in bonds because there was fear in the market. The market was crashing a little bit and bonds, again, are always going to be a good hedge against the market crash. They usually either hold their value or they go up a little bit during a market crash. So yeah, that was a good time if you knew that you know that crash was going to happen. If you didn't know then and you got into it after the crash, uh, I think this year bonds have been negative in performance. So again, your timing would have been terrible if, if you know, that's how you got in. So I always like to look at it as like in hindsight, there is no risk. Like in the past, we, we don't take any risk because we already know what the outcome is. Uh, so timing is a, is a, is a very difficult thing for me. And I'll admit I'm not good at it. And 
I'm not going to pretend to be good at it. And I can't give you any advice on it just because I'm uh, not the best. Uh, Michael C., what are your thoughts on hyperinflation coming soon? Uh, this this actually ties well with uh, with um, uh, Jeffrey's question about timing. We don't know that hyperinflation is coming, right? I, that's a bit of a speculative question. I, I try not to, you know, speculate on that stuff. Yeah, has inflation shot up? Yeah, it has. And uh, I did a good review of uh, the uh, U.S. Um, inflation protected uh, the TIPS uh, bond fund. I forgot the FIZPX or something. I forgot the symbol of it now. But if you're worried about that stuff, uh, that type of bond fund would help um, or any other types of t uh, treasury inflation protected uh, bond index funds would help uh, with that because as inflation goes up, uh, they pay out monthly um, monthly dividends based on whatever the CPI uh, uh, inflation number is. So if you're worried about that, that's a good uh, fund to hold. But as far as my thoughts, I, I don't get involved in speculating on what the future is going to look like with hyperinflation, no inflation. I just know historically... Uh, these have been the lowest interest rates that I remember. Um, I'm sure there was some other time that I'm not aware of, but these have been low interest rates. And um, in a low interest rate environment, stocks do tend to do really well. Bonds tend to do really bad. And, and, and as interest rates rise, uh, the the value of bond price, uh, the value of the bond funds is going to drop, but the yields are going to go up. Um, but other than that, that's about all I know as far as uh, speculating on inflation. We got Storm B28 in the house, IVV, S&P 500 all day. I love it. IVV is the, am I right? Is it the iShares ETF, uh, S&P 500 ETF, I think. Uh, I could be wrong. We got Mike Jones. Oh, man, Mike Jones. Been a long time since I uh, listened to some Mike Jones. How do you feel about buying a property right now? That's a really good question, uh, uh, Mr. Jones. Um being that I sold my property right now, that should probably tell you a little bit, but uh, I'm not. Well, first of all, let me let me let me give you some background information. Right. So I, the first property that I bought was in 2013. I bought it as a foreclosure, one of the last few foreclosures that were left after the 2008, 2009 uh, sort of real estate bubble. Right. Everybody said real estate can't go down. And then it got cut by like 30, 40 and some markets, 50, 60 percent. So I picked up a foreclosure in 2013. Um, on the on the cheap, really, and I hung on to it uh, up until this past month, and then I realized, you know what, we're in a bubble right now. This is uh, real estate shot up something like twenty five percent over last year, and the year before that, another fifteen percent. So I'm pretty confident that I sold again. Not being a market timer, I could be completely wrong, but um, I think I feel like uh, I sold towards the top uh, as far as this property. But you know, buying a property right now is probably a bad idea. Uh, yes, unless you want to overpay. Um, as far as real estate, you know, real estate can be lucrative. Just keep in mind, there's a lot of fees in real estate. And you got to pay your agent, your lawyer, uh, the titling company, all kinds of uh, closing costs to the lender, all kinds of fees. Um, so compared to index funds, uh, index funds are much easier uh, to buy now or, or ever. But um, pr properties are not a bad thing as long as you're not overpaying and you're getting a good deal. I just in this market, it's very difficult to get a good deal. Jimmy J, what's going on, Jimmy? Hi, Mookie. What did I miss? Um, I'll leave the playback up, Jimmy. Nothing really. I just told people have a long-term perspective. Let's not speculate. Um, and let's not get into these meme stocks or focus on day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. I would say even year-to-year stuff in the stock market. 
All right. Let me see. I don't want to lose track. See, I'm even on these lives, uh, I want to make sure I get everybody. So if I skip you, just leave me a comment. Hey, Monkey, you skip me and I'll try to find it. All right. Bobo Leroy. Uh, does it make sense to have FZ Rocks and FX AIX in the same portfolio? What percentage of portfolio should be devoted to international index funds? This is a very good question, uh, Leroy. So for me, and I can only answer this for me, if it makes sense for you, then it makes sense for you. But for me, it doesn't make sense. Um, I'll kind of show you why here. Let me see if I can do this. Uh, hopefully this is something I'm going to bring uh, to these live streams because you guys are asking, right? Um, so let me look up FZ Rocks. Uh, I spelled it wrong, didn't I? Man, trying to, I'm trying to do this live, guys. Usually when I do my videos, I can edit out my mistakes. But when I do it live, man, I can't run from my mistakes. Um, but what I'm going to show you here is going to be basically uh, these two funds and how similar they are. So let's go to the portfolio here. Um, and by the way, if you guys don't know what these funds are, FZROX is the Fidelity uh, Zero Total Market Index Fund. So this is a total market index fund from Fidelity, and it's got a zero expense ratio. So it's one of those new funds. It's only been around for, I want to say, maybe two, three years. I don't remember now when they got them. Um, but what I like to look is, and you guys have probably seen me post this thing a lot. This is the uh, it's a style equity box. This is what I use a lot. And what I look at when trying to determine if a fund is similar is, is of course, there's a lot of different things you can look at. You can, I mean, you can look at their holdings, right? And you can see uh, if they hold the same thing, then it's similar. You can see their category if they're large cap blends. And by the way, these two funds that he's talking about, they're both large cap blend funds. Um, but if you take a look at here, um, the total uh, fund, the total market fund has primarily large caps in it, right? Over 50% of it or almost 70% of his large cap. It's got a little bit of mid and it's got a little bit of small. Um, I mean, this is not a net, like 6% and small is not really going to move uh, the markets, right? So if you look at historically long-term performance between the total market and the S&P 500, I mean, you can throw a blanket over them. They're like super, super close because um, they both are the pretty much the same exact thing, except the... Um, S&P 500 doesn't have the small caps. Believe it or not, and I, I always thought, you know, the 500 biggest companies, they're not all going to be um, 500 large caps. Even the S&P 500 has a little bit of mid cap exposure. And just so you know, I'm not just making stuff up here. Man, my internet's really slow. Maybe it's because I'm streaming through this. Uh, but just so you know, I'm not making stuff up here. I'm going to show you uh, if this thing ever loads. I'm going to show you the uh, style equity box for the S&P, uh, and then you can kind of make the determination for yourself. You see this? So the S&P 500 has 13% in mid caps. So who would have thunk it, right? Um, so yeah, they're pretty much the same funds. Um, and then the second part of your question was, what percentage of your portfolio should be devoted to international index funds? Another very good question. I personally devote 20% to my portfolio if you invest in something like a, uh, a world fund, um, what's a good one? VT is one I know off the top of my head. But VT is the Vanguard total world stock market. So it's like having the US total market and the international total market all in one fund. I'm just curious. I think it's usually, it's been historically pretty close to 50-50. So 50% US and 50% the rest of the world. 
Let's see if that has changed. And that, you know, if you want it to go off what Vanguard thinks, then, you know, Vanguard is probably going to think something like you should have 50% allocated to international. What I think, I think you should have less. Um, I think you should have 20. So uh, right now, this Vanguard fund has 43, 44% allocated to international and 56% to the US. So um, I personally think the reason I say 20% is hi- historically, they're going to be close. Uh, but the uh, in the last 30 years, um, at least as far as the data that I have in the last 30 years, they're not close. Uh, the US market has outperformed the uh, international market by about 4.5% compounded annually. That's a huge number. I mean, we're trying to get like 1% compounded annually. If you're telling me I'm losing out by 4%, that's a huge number. But of course, that's the past. The future can be 100% different and maybe the total international could outperform the US markets by 4% in the future. I don't know, but because I don't know, I'm not going to give too much weighting to something that over the last 30 years has done that bad, even though the likelihood of it doing better uh, over the next 30 years is is very high, right? It's kind of that whole principle of reversion to the mean. So it's good to have international. And I've changed my thinking on this. I used to be anti-international until I didn't educate myself a little bit more. And now I do hold 20%. Again, if you want to follow something like what Vanguard does, it's going to be closer to what was it? 44, 45%. Very good. Both of those are very good questions. So thank you for those. All right. Next one up, we got James Day. Uh, Just started investing. I'm retired, have money in Roth FISVX. What's the difference between this and FSSNX? Man, awesome question. Um, the first difference is FSSNX is a small cap blend and FISVX is a small cap value. So what does all that mean? So I'll show you the small cap value just because it's a lot easier when we look at it on the style equity map. But what what uh, blend means, small cap blend, is if you think about the S&P 500, the S&P 500 is a large cap blend. So the small cap value FSSNX is like the S&P 500 of small caps. It's got growth and it's got value. So it's a nice little blend. Uh, it doesn't lean towards one or the other. It doesn't have tilt. It's kind of you know split down the middle. So if growth does better one year, well, FSSNX has growth. If value does better the next year, then well, it's got value. So it does, it does well. So it kind of captures the best of everything. But historically, it is not the best performing asset class small cap value has been. Um, So if you look at small cap value, the difference really is right here in this quadrant, if it ever loads. This is a FISVX, right? So it's primarily value and small blend. There's no growth. If you look at FSS, if you look at FSSNX, if I can spit it out, all three of these across the board are pretty equal weighted, right? So this tilts more to small and value. Again, this is the quadrant historically has done better, but, uh, and even this year it's doing, uh, good, but in the last 10 years, it's done terrible. So that's really the major difference. It, do you want to be super uh, into value or do you just want to own all the small caps? Um, it's up to you. All right, we got Eric in the building. From your DCA versus lump sum video, would you ever put your money just as cash where every contribution goes into your selected fund? Um, would you ever put your money just as cash? So Eric, watch my next video. I'll do a portfolio update video. This is a good question because I just put in $34,000 into my uh, Fidelity account. 
and um, I invested, or most of it, uh, there was nine grand the Fidelity's holding. So they only allowed, gave me availability of 25,000 to invest. The other nine has to wait till it clears. But no, I don't hang on to the cash. As soon as I have the cash available, I put it in my brokerage account and then I invest the same day. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a terrible timer. Um, so I don't market time or hold on to extra cash. Although in my bank account, like I have extra cash in my emergency fund and all that. But as far as my investments, I don't hold on to any cash. Good question. All right. Moving on down the list. Lorena says, hi, what are your thoughts on Vanguard Retirement Target Date Fund? Um, yeah, I think target day funds uh, are great, Lorena, especially if you want to be a hands-off type of investor. Like if you don't want to be like me and you want to, you know, research all every internal working of the market, right? Like if you want to know the the nooks and crannies of the market and you're just like, look, I know this market thing, it goes up. I know it goes up 8% or 9%. I just want to put my money in something that goes up like that and that somebody else is dealing with. Target date funds are amazing, Right. As long as they're index funds, right? And Vanguard does a good job. Vanguard's one of those companies, of course, founded by my uh, investing idol, uh, Jack Bogle. Uh, but Vanguard's a really good company to hold a target day fund. Fidelity has them too. They're called freedom funds. Uh, just don't go with the actively managed freedom funds that charge you like 0.5% or I don't know what their fees are. Go with the index versions. Uh, most of those are going to be 8 to 12, maybe 15 basis points max. Uh, but this is a very good strategy if you want to be hands-off. And a little secret, Lorena, you're going to beat most investors using a target date fund. It's just, it is what it is. Like most people are going to underperform in target date funds. So good question. All right, we got our man, Jimmy J. Oh, we got a super chat. Before I get to you, Jimmy, let me get to the super chat. Um, I just saw it flash across my screen. All right. Bingo knows. Bingo knows. Thank you so much uh, for the super chat. He says, hi, Moki. I have FXAIX, FSSNX, FSRNX, FZILX, FSMAX, and two ETFs, SCHD and VIG in my Roth. Your opinion on individual stocks to hold on to forever. Um, so let me first uh, just give you a quick reaction on your Roth. So you got okay so your Roth actually looks really good you got large cap blend small cap blend real estate uh international see FS max it's it's mid cap blend mid cap growth so yeah that's fine too SCHD large cap value and VIG is the large cap growth so you've really created like every corner of this box that I uh let me go back to the box how do I go back to these box? Bear with me, guys. I'm a little slow on my technology. Uh, this style equity box, you've got all of them covered, right? So that's awesome. Um, I think your Roth is, as long as you can manage that, your Roth's going to do really good. Second part, your opinion on individual stocks to hold on to forever. <laughs> Unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not a stock guy. Um, I'd be doing you a disservice, man, telling you, you know, hold on to this or uh, if if you want to get my true honest opinions, watch my video. I keep forgetting the title. I think it's titled uh, "Buy and Hold the S and P 500." Like buying and holding the top ten companies in the S and P 500 since 1985 uh, would have underperformed the S and P 500 if you would have just invested in the S and P. So again, individual stocks. At least I'm not going to be advising those. But it's up to you. You're a grown person. You're an adult. You can do what you want. But uh, thank you so much for the super chat and. Uh, uh, thank you for that great question as well. A uh, good job on the Roth, by the way. 
All right, let me get back to my man, Jimmy. Promise I wouldn't skip you, Jimmy. I just want to get to the super chats. You guys don't have to, you know, honestly, you don't have to give me those super chats, but I really appreciate it. Um, and if you do, uh, I'll please uh, get my attention because if I miss it, I'll feel terrible uh, not reading that. All right, so Jimmy says, there are no inflation on the horizon. It's just fear mongers trying to sell gold and short bonds. You got it, Jimmy. I like that. I like the way you're thinking about that. I mean, you could be right, Jimmy. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I, I Again, I can't predict the future, so I'm not going to sit and uh, pretend that, you know, something's going to happen in it. I don't know. Um, yes, I share you. Yeah, I see. Man, I have so many different uh, ETFs, index funds in my head that when I look at them, sometimes I'll confuse them. Um, so I, thank you for verifying. Sometimes I'm telling you, I've studied this stuff way too long. I got to cut it out. Desert Meadow. I'm 44, so I finally rebalanced into some bonds, but I'm usually all equity. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is the time, you know, and it's going to be different for every investor, but this is so important. Knowing when to get into bonds is so important. For me, um, what I've been doing, at least I have zero bonds, right? So I'm 31 years old, about to be 32 in, in a little bit, but I'm 31 years old, 100% equities. I plan to rock 100% equities till about age 50 or so. Of course, that can change. I mean, if I grow like my portfolio from now to uh, age 45 and it's worth $10 million, you better bet I'm going to be in some bonds, right? I'm going to be protecting some of that value of that portfolio. But uh, I firmly believe if you're in the growth phase of your portfolio, you don't need bonds. Historically, bonds return something like three to three and a half percent compounded annually. Equities are going to return seven to to 8% compounded uh, annually. Once you add the real return, once you add inflation, the real return of bonds is somewhat close to zero. And the real return of equities, if you're, again, balanced in US, international and small cap value and all that, the real return should be somewhere around six to five and a half percent. So yeah, I think you're, I mean, if you've determined you're at 44, you know, now is a good time. I love it. Um, stick with it though. Don't try to like start timing. I guess when you rebalance next year, um, you know, take some off the top of your winnings. This is the nice thing with bonds too. Usually if stocks are doing really well, bonds are doing terrible. So you can take some winnings from stocks and throw them into bonds. And then usually when the market reverses, bonds will do good and the stocks will, will, will underperform. Then you just take some money from the bonds and you move it into your stock portfolio. So that gives you an added tool if you wanted to. That's more of a dynamic rebalance. You don't have to do that, but good job. All right, we got a question here from Donita Smith. How do you determine fund worth? Is it down because it's bad or a good time to buy low? Is it down? It's a good. So fund worth, I'm not sure what do you mean like fund worth. Are you trying to say like what's the net asset value of a fund? The way I determine net asset value is, let me get into my fancy schmancy example here, Um net asset value. That's at the, the main page. But the way I determine as far as a, a fund, like for example, this is, uh, what is this fund? Small cap value. All right. So I look at a couple of things, right? I look at the price to book. Um, so in a, in a small value fund, you want really low price to book uh, because uh, value, it's supposed to be cheaper, right? Value is supposed to be discounted stocks. So the lower this number, usually the deeper the discount is on the fund. Uh, but to determine like the actual worth of the fund, like what how uh, like it's assets under management. You can just look at the uh, front page. It's usually 
right there, total assets, uh, $687 million under management. And then you look at net asset value, that tells you really what the price per share is. Um, mutual funds are very interesting. They're a little bit different than ETFs. So ETFs trade uh, basically like a stock. They trade uh, on the stock market. And the ETF managers, they don't have to sell uh, shares of an ETF if you're trying to buy it. So like uh, Storm B28 was saying IVV, right? So if Storm buys IVV, IVV doesn't go create another share. It just trades. They use the market timers and somebody's selling IVV, somebody's buying it, and that's how you how you do it. If you buy FXAIX, um, they have to either take your cash and invest and create another share to uh, create basically another share of FXAIX, or if somebody else is selling it again, they can kind of play around with that cash and how they do it. But the the reason that ETFs are more tax efficient is they don't pay out capital distributions because the fund managers inside the ETFs are now buying and selling as individual investors are buying and selling. So that's one of the advantages. I hope that answers your question, uh, Danita. I'm not really sure what your question was, but hopefully that that's pretty close to uh, what you were looking for. Peter Bell, is there a difference between total U.S. stock and S&P as far as long-term return? Uh, no, there is no difference, uh, Peter Bell. Uh, I, I think I just touched on this. Maybe uh, the comment came a little later after that, but uh, no difference. Uh, we got David Jones in the building. David Jones, very smart man, uh, says, love the live streams. Talk to you soon, my friend. Absolutely, guys. So I'm going to be having a guest on my podcast. David Jones will be coming on to give us education, to lay the smack down on TSPs. Again, I'm not a government employee. I don't know much about TSPs, but this man, David Jones, has the knowledge. He's going to be coming on the live stream. It's going to be uh, not on the live stream, on the podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk to you, bud. And, uh, Hopefully, we can all uh, learn something about TSBs. All right. What's up, Monkey? What's going on? Uh, logical versus lateral. What's what's up with you? All right. What's the best performing international index fund? And should I add some to my Roth IRA and how much? Um, again, I touched on this a little bit earlier. It's going to be up to you. Um, the best performing one, the one I'm going to recommend all the time is a total market Fidelity, if you're, if you're talking on the Fidelity side, they have a free version, uh, FZILX. They have a uh, expense ratio version, which is really cheap, FT, uh, FTIHX, which is still a total market. They also have a global XUS fund, I think FSSPX. I, I don't know the name of that one. You can Google it. Uh, all of those would be good Fidelity ones. If you're looking for like Vanguard ETFs, VXUS is a good one. It's another global international fund. How much? Again, it's going to be up to you. Uh, FZILX for international. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Bingo knows. Absolutely. All right. We got South Richmond TOFL. All right. 9.6% FZILX year to date versus 12.3% year to date. I'm anti-international. just doesn't seem to perform well enough. Um, I would tell you, you're, you're looking at a very short horizon. Year to date is, what are we in? June. Year to date is six months. I wouldn't make uh, investments based off six months data. I wouldn't even make investments based off 10-year data. I, I look at minimum 30. If I can get 50, great. Sometimes, like in the case of small cap value, for me to be convinced to get into small cap value, I had to look at 90-year data. I had to go back to 1928 to be like, okay, Moki, this is this this uh, category is legit. So, um, you know, South Richmond, I, I think, you know, that's too short of a time horizon to determine anything. But uh, again, if you don't believe in it, don't invest in it. 
independent investor what's going on ryan welcome to the live stream says monkey stay awesome keep educating great work my friend vanguard is my choice for passive investing products absolutely thank you ryan guys uh, ryan is another youtuber actually somebody that i found on youtube when i was a really small youtuber when i had like 50 subscribers uh ryan was a guy that i follow i still follow to this day actually uh, so check out his channel. He's a, another great YouTuber. He's not going to be one of those guys that's going to be telling you to, uh, you know, load up on AMC to buy today and sell tomorrow. He's He's got a really good long-term perspective as well. He's very transparent, shares all his stuff on there as well. If you guys are into, into individual stocks, he's the one you should follow on uh, other good YouTubers around him that are talking about good long-term individual stocks. Even though I don't agree with it, um, if you're trying to get that knowledge, absolutely check out his work. All right, I don't want to keep losing track here, man. The comments are rolling. I appreciate you guys. Um, Lorena says, thank you for answering my question. Absolutely. As long as you stick with me, I'm going to get to your question. You can see I'm a little late in the chat because I'm making sure I don't skip anybody. So make sure you guys don't leave the chat until I, uh, until I answer your question. Guy Hensley, should I sell my one share of Amazon and put the proceeds into VTI or FXKX? All right, so guy, I'm going to answer if I had one share of Amazon, what I would do. Um, I would sell one share of Amazon and I would put it in VTI. Um, depends though, is this a taxable account? If it's a taxable account, don't do not do anything. I wouldn't do anything. It's not worth the, the tax headache. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. But um, because I don't, you know, uh, I, I don't know how... Uh, to successfully pick winning stocks for the long term, I would personally sell it. If you really have these convictions behind Amazon and you, you know, you think there's nothing but upside from it, don't sell it. You know, don't sell it based off what I'm saying. Don't do anything based off what I'm saying. But if it was me personally, that's how I like to answer these questions. If I had Amazon in my account today, um, yeah, I would be converting that uh, into VTI, except in taxable accounts. All right, here comes Ryan. Uh, Ryan giving us the stocks. So these are the stocks, guys. Um, I, somebody else asked me about stocks. Uh, follow Ryan's channel. He does stock stuff. Um, and not just like talking about it. He breaks down his convictions into this stuff and, and he shows you everything. So he's uh, done a really good job building up uh, some uh, self-directed stuff over there too. So uh, yeah, definitely the stock man. All right, who else we got here? I don't want to skip anybody. Doo -doo. I'm using the Vanguard 2065 target date fund for the latter years of my retirement. Um, 2065. Um, Desert, that one is, is pretty far out there. I thought you said you were getting into bonds. You were like 44. Or, unless you plan on retiring in when you're like 85. Uh, that's a heavy, aggressive target date fund. Again, it's up to you. Um, but that one only owns like maybe 5 or 6% bonds. Um, and it's all equities and it'll probably perform better over the next 40 years than, than, uh, any, any of the older target date funds, but it is pretty aggressive. All right. We got ethos in the building guys. I always uh, say this too. Every time I see ethos, check out ethos's, uh, investing channel. Another great, uh, investing channel talks about stocks, a little bit of ETFs as well. Uh, smash the like button. I appreciate that, bud. Um, you guys can smash the like button if you like me. If you don't like me, uh, don't smash the like button. All right, Peter Bell, can you briefly explain how REITs are taxed and tax advantage Roth versus taxable brokerage account? Very good question because I had experience with this. Believe it or not, guys, in 2019, <laughs> at the young, ripe investing age of 
how old was I in 2029, 28? Um, I had this bright idea to open up a taxable account and pick individual REIT stocks that paid monthly dividends and I'll put them in there. And then I did the taxes on it. So if you put them in a Roth, you're tax protecting the, those dividend payouts. And if anybody doesn't know what REITs are, REITs are real estate investment trust. Uh, they're a special type of company uh, that is, they own real estate and they basically pass the, uh, the uh, income from that real estate onto you. So they don't pay taxes. Those companies, they pay portions of taxes, but most of it is distributed to you, the shareholder who then goes out and pays taxes. If you can do anything or learn anything, it's to tax protect. Um, so yeah, you definitely want to put those in a Roth, like you said, Peter Bell. Um, if you keep them in a taxable account, you're going to be taxed at an ordinary income rate. So whatever your ordinary tax bracket is, this income is considered ordinary income. It's not a special qualified income. So it's not like if you have, a, a, for example, like a S&P 500 a mutual fund and it pays out a dividend, that dividend is qualified because the stocks that are in the S&P 500 fund have been held for a period of some years. So, but it's qualified. Same thing if you buy individual stocks, if you hold them after X amount of time, those dividends, I think it's a year, those dividends become qualified. Um, if they're unqualified, they're at ordinary income. So bonds, REITs, those, all those are paid at ordinary income. You're going to lose a lot of that income to taxes. So ideally tax protect. Very good question. Um, all right. We got Ryan saying, uh, Already smashed. Heck yeah, man. Keep smashing. You guys keep smashing the like button if you like me. Um, Eric says, thank you for all your wisdom, man. I love the data on your DCA versus lump sum investing. More on this, please. Yeah, there's going to be more coming. Like I said, I just threw in $34,000 into my taxable account. Uh, so, you know, there's some juicy stuff coming in that video. Um, absolutely. Uh, with one stone, always uh, remember this name, uh, S&P 500 is peaking. There will be a correction sooner than later. I hope not. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, I don't know, man. It, it Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, the, the funny part is you should be hoping for a correction, right? You should be hoping for uh, cheaper prices. If you're a long-term investor, that's a good thing. Um, you know, if, if you can get it on a discount, then why not? But uh, yeah, could be, could be not. 50-50 uh, chance is what I'm going to give you. Nothing more, nothing less. Um do, 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 do. Gotta thank you. All right, I'm trying to get some new questions here. Jamie Gool, Guaman, Guman. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your uh, last name there. Be adding Penny in a Fidelity fund. Which fund will you recommend for long term? Um. So first of all, let's go. I made this list, right? I told you at the beginning. If you if you remember what I said. So the first thing I want you to do is understand why you're investing and what you're investing for. So when you're going to need the money. So when you say long term, is that five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? So generally what I recommend is anything that's five years or less. If you're like, I'm going to need this money in five years, just don't bother putting it in the stock market because you're really, it's a 50-50 toss up. It's like it could crash. It could not. You could wipe out 20, 30, 40, 50% of your money, or you can gain 10, 15, 20, 30%. I don't know, but it's a toss up in the five-year period. In a seven to 10-year period that's more long-term, chances are, I think it's like 88% chance 
or I'm sorry, 75 to 80% chance it's going to be up uh, versus what you had invested. And then in like 15, 20 year time horizon, uh, I don't know of a rolling decade. Maybe there is, but there are two, I mean, two rolling decades where the S&P 500 has been negative. So my standard advice is put it in a low cost, broad based index flow. Uh, if you don't know what that means, that's funds like large cap blend, S&P 500 total market funds. If you're doing it through Fidelity, uh, you can use their mutual funds. Fidelity also does have uh, ETF options available. You can use iShares, Vanguard, uh, Charles Schwab. They all have really good low-cost ETFs. I would keep it broadly based uh, total market or world market. I shared VT earlier. That's uh, one. Again, if you don't believe in international, then maybe not that one. Um, and just ride for the long term. Don't look at it. Don't tinker with it. Got to get that shirt. Don't tinker. By the way, guys, uh, I don't know if I uh, showed these new shirts up, but they are live. You can get yours today. They're hot off the press. FZROX. Yeah, that's one. That's a good total free total market fund. Ron S. I have Fidelity. If I wanted to invest in the entire stock market, what would be a good ETF? Um, so uh, just what this one right here. I just uh, clicked it right here, Ron. At, oh, no. Oh, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. You said ETF. Um, so are you looking, when you say entire market, are you looking at the world or are you trying to invest in only the U.S.? If it's just U.S., a good ETF is VTI uh, for the, to capture the entire U.S. market. Uh, if you're looking at a good world, uh, it will be VT minus the I, the I off. That's a global world fund. Um, oh, man. Let me make sure I don't skip anybody. All right. Hi, Mucky. Thanks for the content. I currently hold FSAIX, DFREX, uh, VSCIX, VREGX, VBTIX. Got me stumped on some of these. I usually don't get stumped. Uh, what in the blue heck is DFREX? Let me take a look at what you got. D, E, F, R, E, X. Um, I'm going to answer this one because I want to see. I'm, I'm curious for myself. I like learning about new funds. So, uh, D, F, R, E, X does not come up. D, F, R, E, X. Oh, DFA funds. Okay, I got you. So that's a DFA uh, real estate. So DFA, uh, I like DFA funds. They they're a little bit more expensive, but uh, DFA funds have a really good tilt. Um, um, is R E R G X a DFA as well? Let me just see here. Yeah, they have a very good tilt to value. Uh, DFA funds, I do approve of, even though they are a little bit more expensive. I think they're fine. R-E-R-G-X. All right, let me see what that one is. And this is the first time I've been stumped this much. America Funds, Euro-Pacific Growth Fund. America Fund, I don't want to get in trouble here, but American Funds, I don't approve of. I'm not saying that they're terrible funds, but um, they are actively managed. Uh, so I would look into that. Uh, v, the V-B-T-I-X, that might be a Vanguard, is it? Sorry about this, guys. These are new, I mean, I... There's 3,800 mutual funds. I can't, uh, even though I think I'm a smart guy, I can't not remember them all. So I have to Google some of these. 
that I don't come across. Yeah, that's the Vanguard total bond. Yeah, so the V1s are usually Vanguard. Um, again, I, I you got S and P five hundred. You got real estate. Uh, you got bond. You got uh, international. I like it. Uh, you could possibly squeeze out a little bit better uh, perf- long term performance by lowering your fees in in um, in that actively managed American fund. All right, we got Tiger Tube rocking the Bosnian flag. Oh man, Zdravo! How's it going, uh, Tiger Tube? Um, should I remove the bond stock? I don't know. I mean, why did you get in in the first place, right? If you're in it to uh, limit some market uh, downside risk, right? Like, because it's probably going to protect you in a crash. And great, probably keep it if, if you don't want to be protecting the crash and you want to take on more risk. Don't keep it, it's, it's really up to you. I'm not sure if you should uh, get rid of it or not. Michael C., what's the best one you can look at to show small cap value is doing good for long run? Because FS FISVX has only been open for a few years, yeah. So, what I look at to capture that is I look at the Russell 2000 value index, the Russell. The Russell was created in the 80s, but you can go even further back. I use Portfolio Visualizer, and uh, I I have links to like Paul Merriman's uh, research that his he has a foundation that does research back to 1928 too. So if you want to use his data, look at his data. Portfolio Visualizer, if you want to play with your play around with it uh, yourself, but it, what it's going to give you is that category. So it's not going to give you that fund. Um, given, I mean. In a small cap value, you can have, you know, at least four indexes that I know of, but possibly more track the small cap value category, right? And they're all going to have slightly different performance. But on average, if you just put them together, they're within like, you know, 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent. So I look at those uh, types of things. Uh, Super chat coming in, uh, coming in hot off the press. Let me get the super chat up. Uh, I just saw a flash. Where did it go? My man, Kevin. Kevin, thank you for the super chat. Kevin is a private member. Uh, very, very smart young man as well. Great. Look at this question, man. Uh, will you now commit to naming your kid John C. Moki? And if not, why not? <laughs> I got to take a sip to this. Some good apple juice. Um <laughs> Stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say. Stay tuned. So, yeah, guys, if you guys don't know, I, I do have a, a newborn on the way. We're having our first kid. He's going to be a boy. We just had a gender reveal two weeks ago now. So we found out it's a boy. I'm very excited. And yeah, John C. Mucky. I mean, if 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 my wife likes that name, I love that name. Uh, if she boy, we might, we might, but I just have a feeling she might not let me, you know, the, do the whole John C. Monkey, but maybe, maybe she would. <laughs> That's an awesome question. All right. Let me get back to, do, 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 do. all right. Thoughts on American Fund Retirement, RFTIX. Let's look at it together. I got 60 of you guys watching, so I'm going to show you. Let's do one together. This will probably be a good one we can look at. R-F-T-I-X. R-R-F-T-I-X. Why is it not coming up? (laughs) 
RFTIX, right? That's what I typed in. Come on, Internet. I should probably put you guys on the uh, dual screen here so you could see that I'm not just um, – yeah, there you go. Yeah, no results found. Can you check the spelling on that and just get back to me? Maybe it's a different spelling. Um, but, yeah, I was going to do one live with you to show you how I do it. But uh, check the spelling. Come back to me. Well, we got another one. Maybe we'll do this one live. Uh, Tiger Tube uh, says, what do you think of covered call ETFs like RYLD slash Nusi? All right. So, again, I'll, 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 I'll do uh, – I got to do this now. I'll do Nusi for you, okay? I've looked at – I haven't looked at these really in depth. Um, the first red flag with Nusi is it's a nationwide fund. I don't do my investments from insurance companies, but it – that's just what I, my personal preference. Let's see. Uh, let me get it up and live here. How do I get it to be bigger? There it is. All right. So let's see. I'm going to get your comment out of the way so you guys can see what I see. All right, cool. Let me get into it. All right. So let's, let's just take a look, right? So, okay. This is a, um, is this the one tracking the NASDAQ cover call or not? I'll have to look into it. Anyways, first thing that I see here is an expense ratio of 68 basis points. Um, the way I want you to look at that is $6.80 uh, uh, per thousand dollars invested or $16. And, wait, $16.80. I don't even know now. My math is. Espousing. Um, 12 month yield is 7.89%. So this is a high yielding, uh, high yielding dividend uh, ETF with a high expense ratio from nationwide. Okay. Um, so, so far I can't really say anything about it. Let me take a look at the makeup of this fund and then we'll take a look here. You said it was covered call. Let me go back to your comment. You said, what do you think of cover call ETFs? Okay, so the cover call ETF. Again, I'm not the greatest guy when it comes to options. Uh, that's, uh, that's uh, what's his name? Uh, Hidden Freedom Investing. Dave over there is the options master. Um, yeah, so this is this is the funder right here. So as far as our, our, as far as our um, uh, style equity box, it's a large cap growth fund, which that doesn't make sense for it being a high yielder um, with a price to book of over seven. Yeah. So again, I'm under uh, two holdings. Okay. So they're probably selling covered calls against these stocks, these 102 holdings, and then they're producing income off those covered calls um, and paying that out as a dividend. I have a feeling though um and I, and I could be wrong here, but I just have a feeling if I look at the performance, it's probably going to perform or underperform a large cap blend. But let's see. Because if they're if they're doing what I think they're doing um, and these sneaky insurance companies, hopefully there's data here. Oh, man, this is a new fund. Uh, so this fund was created back in 2019. So. Not a lot of data for me to pick apart, but if we just want to look at performance-wise in year-to-date, it's, I mean, I only have two pieces of data for it, but year-to-date is done 6.43%. The S&P's done 16%. So it's underperformed the S&P in performance. 
2020, 18.64%. Uh, it's underperformed that too. So again, it's so hard for me to, to uh, tell you because there's not enough data here. What's the index this thing tracks? Index, Morningstar, CTR. What the heck is this? Man, this is some crazy stuff. Let me pull this index up. Already, how hard it is for me to find anything on this fund. I'm not a fan of it, but uh, I'm going to keep a keep an open mind. Let me see what I find with this index. Yeah, no, this is a dead end. Um, okay, so just based off performance, uh, to go back to your uh, tiger, to go back to your question, just based off performance, it I think you would have been better off in, in a large cap blend fund. Again, I, I'm not too familiar with the inner workings of this fund, but if it's doing the cover calls, basically what it's probably doing, and I could be wrong, you guys can correct me on this, but what most of these funds do that are high yielding funds is they sell off, especially if they're ETF, they sell off uh, portions of the assets that they have to basically produce a capital gain. And then they pay that out as a distribution in a form of a dividend. So if you want to do this yourself, you just buy the S&P 500. And then every month you just sell off a portion of the S&P 500 as it gains or every six months, whatever the case may be. And you can generate the same income by selling the S&P 500 uh, that you would generate from the dividends that it pays here. Um, and, and it looks like, you know, for those dividends, you're suffering in, in the long-term performance of the fund. So if, if you're using these dividends, again, I'm going to challenge you. If you're using them to live off of or, you know, to supplement your future income, if you're looking to retire early, I can see a case, still not the 6.8 expense ratio or 0.68 expense ratio, but I can see a case for it. Other than that, I don't see why you need to buy these fancy schmancy uh, insurance product cover call ETFs uh, when there's so many good low cost options available. Uh, thank God we live in 2021 with so many low cost options. Can you imagine, you know, being an investor 20 years ago and you had to pay every time you made a trade, you had to pay like 20 bucks or whatever the case was, that would not have been fun. All right. Desert Meadow says, I was comparing price per share on Vanguard Mutual Fund, 3000 minimum buy-in versus ETF. And the price was almost double for the ETF. Is that normal? VS VSIAX versus VBR. So VBR is a small cap value. Let's get you back in there. The thing with Vanguard stuff is that you need to be aware of is their um, ETFs are almost always have a cheaper barrier to entry. So they usually have minimums and hopefully they get rid of this, but they usually have minimums um, on their mutual funds where you have to buy $3,000 worth. And that's kind of difficult for, you know, if you're a new investor scraping together a couple of hundred bucks, uh, it's probably difficult to uh, invest 3000 So that's why Vanguard has the, VT, uh, the ETF option. Sorry, I pulled up the wrong fund. But let's take a look. So this is the lower expense ratio, small cap value. Are you saying, are you talking about the price like per share? Let me read your question again. Yeah, you're talking about the price per share. I don't even need to pull that up. I can explain that to you. So the price per share in ETF does not matter. So what you're going to look at as far as price is, is really nothing to look at as far as price because most of them are going to create or split shares. Like, for example... Uh, if you have VSAIX, which is the mutual fund, 
maybe you know in 10 years that price gets to be so expensive that they just do a five to one split and drop the price right right back down I, so you then end up holding more shares of it but at, at a lower price allocated exactly to how much the split was so there was no difference between them outside of some little tax advantage with VBR to hold in a taxable. But other than that, the price, and I know this is counterintuitive because when you look at stocks, right, the key thing you guys look at probably is price. Um, and, and the key thing I tell you not to look at when it comes to mutual funds or index funds is price because it really doesn't matter. And it's not something you can use to evaluate um the fund, you really want to look at more things like price to book, price to earnings. You want to look at the whole kind of make an assessment based off that. But good question. All right. Peter Bell says, very helpful. Thanks. Thanks to you as well. We got FSKX with the rocket ships, diamond hands. Oh, man. <laughs> I love that. We need more of that with index funds. You know why? are all these stock trading guys getting the rocket ships and the diamond hands you know because we're the real diamond hands you know index investors believe it or not are the real diamond hands um and our our investments are going to the moon but uh a lot of these guys uh, that are investing in uh, amc and gamestop unfortunately they they they, uh they might be diamond handing it but they're not going to be going to the moon any time soon that's a good that's a good comment made me laugh all right Let's move on. We got Jake M in the house says with a 46 year time frame, you think a portfolio with 15% small cap uh, value will have a significantly lower CAGR than one with 20% allocation. The remaining 5% will be used uh, in a total US or international fund. Okay, so man, that's a really good time horizon, time horizon, Jake. 46 years. Um Again, this is what I would do if I had 46 years. I don't. I have close to like 35 years, right? But if I had 46, that means you're like 20, 21. I would have put more than 20% in small cap. I would have done like 30% in small cap value because there isn't a 40-year period that small cap value hasn't done at least a 1% better uh, compound annual growth. But usually, historically, it's more like 3 a percent over a 45, 50 year period. So I would have more allocated to it. Um, that's what I would do. What you should do, I mean, again, it's going to be up to you. If you like, um, uh, if you're trying to create like a balanced portfolio, I've back tested uh, maybe six months worth of portfolios, like with uh, uh, using uh, categories. And I found the 60, 20, 20, the one that I created, I dubbed the monkey three. Uh, I'm not su suggesting you go invest in it, but if you want to back test it, use Portfolio Visualizer, you can look at it uh, uh, to see that historically it's like the best for me. It was the best risk adjusted return because of my time horizon. But somebody with a bigger time horizon, man, I almost want to say you can go more in small cap value, but it's going to be up to you. Uh, James Day, congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, is FS Max small cap and mid cap a good fund for a taxable account? Um, I, I'm going to be hard pressed to say that it is or isn't, but let me take you. The best thing I can do is take you into the fund and we can look at it together, right? I can show the people how I look at this stuff. So let's take you into FS Max. If I can get this thing working, we're going to see if it's a good fund. And a taxable. So 
first of all, the, the thing you want to look for in a taxable, the thing you want to look out for in a taxable is does it pay capital distributions, right? So if it pays capital distributions, um, if the thing will ever load, there it goes. If it pays capital distributions, it's probably not good for a taxable, um, but let's see how much it pays in capital distributions. So here we are. Um, so this is FSMAX, the fund you're talking about. It paid, look at this, uh, April, it paid $5.28 a share in capital distributions. I'm going to say no, it's not a good fund because that is a lot of freaking money uh, in capital distribution. So let me go back to what I was saying too, so just to solidify this. This is how you determine, right? So look at this uh, turnover rate. It's usually a good indicator. Uh, turnover rate for something like an S&P is between 4 and 7%, depending on when the S&P rebalances. Um, this fund's turnover rate was closer to 26%. Uh, this is some of the problems of holding even like a small cap value in a taxable uh, if it's a mutual fund. When it does its rebalancing, like the Russell 2000 index does, just did its rebalancing this week, it will trigger capital distributions. And those capital distributions, look at them as forced sales. Look at them as you having to pay taxes on shares that you sold, even though you didn't sold them as a fund manager. So hopefully that helps answer your question. All right, let's move on here. Fernando H says, hi, 43 with a Roth at Fidelity. I love it. Let's keep going. Thoughts on this breakdown? 15% in growth and value funds for each cap size, 10% in FSRNX. I'm thinking to do 10% on mids, mid caps, extra to growth for large and small. So if I get this correctly, I think what you're saying, Fernando, is you got a, wait, why is this not adding up? Are you saying like you got 15% in large cap growth and 15% in large cap value? So you're just creating then a large cap blend. Um, so I'm not sure what you mean, 15% in growth and 15% in value for each cap size. If that's what you're doing, then you're just better off doing a large cap blend like the S&P 500. Tilting to value or tilting to growth is better. But if you just tilt to both of them, then you just created a blend and you did a whole bunch of extra work with a whole bunch of extra funds to end up performing the same as a large cap blend. Uh, again, that's my opinion. Um, I try to say, keep it simple. Uh, you don't want to have more than like, four, five, even five is too much. Four or five funds maximum. Um, the more complexity you make, uh, the harder it is for you to stick to your strategy. That's uh, sort of my opinion. All right, we got Robert William in the house. Robert says, Mookie, what do you think of FNILX? I love FNIL FNILX. That's the S&P, the free S&P 500 uh, index fund from Fidelity. It's a large cap blend category fund. It's going to perform just like the S&P 500. Although it's an index Fidelity created, they created it so that, you know, they didn't have to use the naming rights of S&P uh, to make the fund free for you. I suspect, and again, this is speculation. This is, that's why I said suspect. Um, these zero funds will probably perform a little bit better than their counterpart expense ratio funds. Not by a lot, but slight. I mean, if you think of Saving even if it's, you know, one and a half basis points or 40, 50 years, 
that's got to get you a little bit better performance though. I mean, I think it's a great fund. Uh, I don't personally own it myself. I do own the FXAIX, the counter, the fee expense ratio counterpart only because of the longevity of FXAIX. And also I have this uh, gut feeling, speak quality, have this gut feeling that, you know, they created these zero funds as, as a marketing ploy to really get a lot of index investors from Vanguard to, to and from Schwab to come over to, to Fidelity. I hope they keep these funds around, but again, with them being so new, man, I can't I can't trust it uh, long term. And even if it does, you know, shut down or merge with another fund, it's you know you can always pull your money out. It's not like your money's going to disappear. So I'm not saying like it's going to go to zero. I'm just saying. I hope that they keep it long term. And if they do, I, I think these funds will perform a little bit better. But if they don't, then you know, you're gonna have the hassle of having to buy another fund. All right, moving on. We got Ian Hatfield in the house. Imagine going through a 40-year period in small cap value just tanks the whole time compared to the total market. That would suck. That would be a very, very bad thing because then you would probably lose, depending on 40-year period, if you're uh, investing as aggressive as I am. Let's say, because I have a 20% allocation, and if over the next 40 years I underperform in my small cap value, I'll probably lose close to half a million dollars. So that will be a half a million dollar decision I make that's going to cost me. Um, but I'm going to challenge you on the flip side because I have 90 years of data behind me. What happens if you're in the total market and small cap value over the next 40 years? beats the total market by three and a half percent on average, like it's done historically, that's going to cost me one and a half to two million dollars over a 40 year period. So hopefully, you know, that explains the reasoning of at least why I have a belief in it. I'm not saying you should, you should believe what you believe. Uh, but that's sort of my belief and why I'm in it and why I have uh, a 20% allocation to it. Good, good point though, Ian. Got Mr. Barry in the house. Uh, Mr. Barry's got FNILX. We just talked about that. FSKX. Okay. FSPGX. FTech are the best for long term growth. Oh, man. Um, I, I respect, I respect uh, your opinion, Mr. Barry, but I'm going to disagree slightly. Um, and again, this is my belief. You have your opinion. I'm going to uh, let you have yours. I'm going to have mine. Um, FNILX, FSKX, absolutely. FSPGX, yes, if you hold it long term, yes. FTEC, on the other hand, well, I guess, yeah, if you're going to hold it really, really long. But um, let me pull up something I want to show you guys. Hopefully, this will help you uh, understand sort of my reasoning of why I'm so bearish on technology. But let me pull up the QQs. I'm going to pull up the triple Qs. Uh, we're going to get a little chart action here on the triple Qs. And da, 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 da. no, not the triple Qs. What's the NASDAQ IXIXC? I'm going to pull up the NASDAQ composite index, the index itself, not the fund. All right, I got it. All right, so I'm going to show you here, Mr. Barry, why I think it's not. Um, so FSPGX is sort of, a, it's, it doesn't track the NASDAQ composite, but it's a large cap growth. So is FTEC. Um, so let's jump into, let me take your comment out of the way here. So what you see here is the NASDAQ composite index. The uh, symbol is IXIXC. That's just the index itself. This is not a uh, individual fund. This is the index. 
So the reason I'm going to challenge you, Mr. Barry, is if in 2000, uh, in March of 2000, you bought this thing at 4,900, right? Um, and then let's say, I mean, I'm just using examples, but let's just say you bought it at this point. Let me show you how long you would have to wait to just break even. Where's the break even point here? February 2015. So you would have to wait 15 years to go back to 4,900. So this is large cap growth, right? So we see large cap growth. And this is so funny because it's the thing with large cap growth is the name is misleading. Yeah, it's growth companies. But what usually happens with growth, growth companies is you have this run up, this crazy run up, and then the thing tanks. It like tanked 80%, right? So if you're building long-term growth, it's fine if you just held through here. You would have doubled your money um, twice, right? But if, you, if you're a new investor, you come into the market, you do this, and then you start seeing something like an 80% dip. How, like, how in your right mind are you going to hold something and trust it, right? The second problem with it, and this is kind of the belief mindset that made me change from, uh, from FSPGX large cap growth to small cap value. The second problem with it is it becomes super overvalued that historically, if you look at from 2000 all the way to here, this thing has returned, what, 195%. Let's just look at the S&P from that same time period um, just to see what it has done. So the S&P in that same time period, let me get back to the high. There's the high, has returned 193%. They're exactly identical. The same exact returns, except, except you took on a heck of a whole lot more risk if you were in the NASDAQ over that 15-year time period that you were underperforming year after year after year. So the problem is, as a new investor, me, I can handle that. I don't care if it underperforms for 15 years. But the reason I don't suggest it to people is I know new investors are not going to hold this thing for 15 years and watch it underperform. New investors can't hold something barely a week. Um, that's why, you know, uh, as you suggested, Mr. Barry, FNILX, FSKX, I'm going to 100% agree with you, FSPGX and FTEC to an even bigger degree, it's even more volatile, is not good, in my opinion, of course, uh, for long-term growth and for investors, um, just because they're going to make some erratic decisions based off uh, prices. And, you know, 15 years is a good long track record. I know, uh, I don't know, I haven't seen him in the live stream tonight, but he sent me his portfolio he bought QQQ in 2000 and he had to, he held it all the way to, till now until I started diversifying. But I don't know a lot more people than him that have done that. So, um, you know, that again, my opinion, uh, you can do uh, whatever you guys think is best for you. Um, Jimmy J with the USA talking about working on its infrastructure, I will not hesitate to go 30% on small caps. No, 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 no. I don't know where you're tying that together, Jimmy. Um, I think the thing with small caps, right, and small cap value is 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 the risk-adjusted return. So when you think about risk-adjusted return, uh, it's not really performed well in a couple of scenarios. It performs well coming from a correction. So if there's a crash, small cap value is going to 
skyrocket. Um, it's done it in 2000s. It's done it even now. If you look at the past year, I think it returned like 90% after the March 2020 crash. Uh, again, I'm not saying that after every crash, small cap value is going to do that, but it might. It also does really, really well when the total market is not doing so well. So it's uncorrelated with the returns of the total market. Um, and that's why I'm in it. I'm Again, I'm in it because it's going to out- it historically has outperformed, but I'm also in it because it's an uncorrelated asset, right? If you look at something like, um, and I'll pull up, um, I'll pull up uh, FS, FSPGX, because that's not to pick on your comment again, Mr. Barry, but let me pull that back up. Um, I just want to show you this as well. If you look at FSPGX, right, it basically is going to hold, let me get this right, stop screen. Man, the fact that I'm like being this interactive, guys, give me, give me, give me a like because this thing is uh, above. This thing is above my head, man. I can't believe I'm working with the technology so well. All right, so hopefully you guys see this on screen. Um, so we're pulling up FSPGX, and uh, the point that I'm trying to make here is uncorrelated assets, and why I'm a big fan of small cap value, right? And why I'm not a big fan of FSPGX is come on man internet's super slow all right it's gonna load one of these days i promise guys it's gonna load okay here we go it's loading oh man the thing that i want is now loading there it is all right so fspgx got a lot of holdings Look at the top 10 holdings. This is not uncorrelated to the S&P 500 by any means, other than it's overweighted to these large growth companies. But the S&P 500 holds these companies in this exact order, like these top six or seven, they're the same as the S&P 500. So it's not uncorrelated. So if this thing crashes, the S&P crashes. But if you take a look at small cap value, it's completely uncorrelated. It doesn't have any of the same holdings that the S&P or large cap blend or even large cap value have. And that's where it it can outperform, right? When there's a really bad, uh, even in, in good times, I mean, this recovery now has been good times. The S&P has been hitting all time highs, but small cap values are outperforming. But it's even better when there's a big correction um, and, and a lot of people get fearful of, of these large cap growth type stocks. That's where smart cap value uh, does well. It also does well in raising in an environment where interest rates are rising because capital becomes more expensive to borrow. Tesla and Google and all these companies can't borrow capital for cheap. Again, growth starts to slow down as well. Uh, not to go back to that, belabor that point too much, but back to your Jimmy uh, Jimmy's point, talking about the uh, infrastructure I can't uh, personally say yes or no. I don't know, but uh, maybe, maybe Uh, small cap values. Yeah, I know you meant small cap value. Uh, Here we go. Private member Anatoly's team is F and FZPX insane account overlap. What's F? I'm not sure what F is, man. Uh, Maybe you corrected me here. Oh, Oh, okay. Are FZ rocks and FZIPX in same account overlapping? No, unless you know something I don't. Uh, because 
Let me just make sure here. FCX gonna have more. I mean, I see what you're saying. You're saying that because FZRX has mids and smalls, would it be overlapping? No, it wouldn't be because the majority of companies in FZIPX are small caps. FZIPX, by the way, guys, is the zero extended market fund. The majority of them are small caps, right? So I'll show you here on our little fancy, uh, on our fancy uh, style equity box. And I love using this style equity box, by the way. Um, I suggest you guys get really, really familiar, familiar with the style equity box. It's not, again, used to determine, you know, if I should invest in a fund or not. But it's really great to categorize fund and to figure out, hey, you know, is there some overlapping stuff going on with these funds? Because it gives you exact percentage breakdowns and you can kind of determine is there overlapping or not. So here's FZIPX. This is the one until he's asking about. This one does fund overlap a total market. Well, as you can see here, this fund has no large cap blend and a total market is large cap blend. So the majority of this fund is small cap and have a little bit of mid cap too. So maybe it overlaps there. But again, it's going to perform probably a lot different than the total market because it has uh, no large cap blend. And FZ Ross is all the majority of it is like 80% of its large cap blend. So good question. But the answer is no, they are not overlapping. All right. Bingo Nose says, what do you use for news and research? FIN Viz, Seeking Alpha, something else. I use Morningstar. Uh, I, I have the links in the description of my channel. I use Morningstar. I use Portfolio Visualizer. And I use Paul Merriman's uh, foundation website. Um, for news, I, I don't really like you. I don't have the news don't decide what I'm going to invest in. So I, I mean, I watch like financial news stuff. I, I read a lot of Bloomberg stuff, but it doesn't make uh, any investment decisions for me. I'm not familiar with FinViz is. Uh, Seeking Alpha, I am familiar with. Seeking Alpha is good for like stocks, I guess. But Morningstar, if you want to invest in ETFs and mutual funds, Morningstar is, is the best one. If you are looking at like individual stocks, I guess Seeking Alpha would be better. Got Steven in the house, says, hello, I'm 22. My God, 22 years old. I am uh, just started my Roth last year. Any thoughts on my allocations? Stephen, first of all, you are a uh, financial wizard. Uh, at 22 years old, I was probably drinking apple juice and playing ping pong. <laughs> Beer pong, not ping pong. Where did I get ping pong from? Um, so first of all, great job at, at such a young age, really, getting into uh, investing and doing it right. You got into a Roth. Now imagine 22, you probably get a horizon when you turn 65 in 43 years. 43 years, you can compound something and have tax-free growth. Man, it doesn't even matter what your allocations are. Tax-free for 43 years, you're going to be a winner. As far as your allocations, what I would personally suggest, if I was 22 right now, I would be invested in something heavily aggressive, such so as 100% first of all. As far as which equities, I would be primarily, again, tracking large cap blend on the US, large cap blend international and small cap value. Um, I wouldn't try to get too cute with my portfolio because you have such a long time horizon. You know, you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, reinvent wheel here. Uh, you just need to get something broadly diversified, low cost and, and just let it ride. Uh, the most 
excuse me, the most important dollars that you're going to be putting in are going to be the dollars that you're putting in now because these dollars will grow for 43 years. Um, I have this chart too that I like to go back to. Uh, it's it's the money guy. If you guys know who they, they're financial advisors, but they also have a podcast and I think they have a YouTube channel, but I listen to their podcast a lot. Let me get this chart. They have this thing called a wealth multiplier. Um, and if you go to their websites, moneyguide.com, and then you go to resources, you can get this chart. Um, but basically at 22, every dollar you put in is going to be worth $66 at age 65. So your uh, age multiplier is 66. So the way you want to think about this is take your current value of your Roth and multiply it by 66 and whatever number that is, um, this is if you're invested in like a S&P 500, right? This is if you're invested in index. Because if you're doing something else, then the number could be different. But whatever your number is, that's going to be your balance of this account when you're turned 65. Uh, the fun thing is at 22, you really put in like 110 bucks, 100, I think it's 115. Let me see here. 22, you got to put in 117 bucks a month to become a millionaire at age 65 uh, if you're invested in low-cost index funds. I have a feeling, Stephen, you're probably doing a lot more than than 117. But if you're even close to maxing that Roth every year, uh, chances are at age 65, you're going to be a multimillionaire. If you just do these things right, like don't reinvent the wheel, just pick low cost index funds, ignore the noise around you, ignore these fools that are telling you 30x stock, no such thing happens. Um, Long term, at least I'm sure it happens because, you know, they all look at risk in the past. Oh, what if? What if? Well, we don't live in a world of what ifs. We live in right now. And right now uh, you're doing everything right. So great job, Stephen. Uh, Very proud of you. Keep up the good work. All right. Uh, uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. I'm I'm terrible. I'm so bad. I'm so bad at names. Um, exactly which small caps are you buying? So a little bit about the small caps that I buy. I like the Russell. I don't keep this a secret. I like the Russell 2000 value index. There's many other indexes. Again, I've seen um, the S&P index. I've seen there's uh, where am I? I can't think of the name right now. There's another index that I watched. Uh, the, the one that the, uh, VBR tracks. I forgot that. In the, is it the crisp uh, small value? Um, and then there's there's some like uh, index funds that are from DFA and, and, and Avantis, which are going to be more value tilts, even more than a Russell 2000 uh, value. Oh, my hat's a little crooked. More than a Russell 2000 value tilt. I follow the Russell 2000 value because it's the one that I have studied. It's the one that has the longest track record. It's the one that I trust. Um a lot of you know this has to do with trust. So if you want to research like the the actual indexes, I would start there first and look at their performance. Again, when we talk about small cap values, you can probably find like 18, 20 small cap value funds. They're all going to have different performance. Um, don't look at recent performance. Try to get the historical. And for me, I like the the Russell 2000 value. Also, because the the, the way the Russell 2000 value is set up it's kind of a cleansing index. Like, so for example, I'll, I'll tell you this, this is exactly why I like it. The Russell 2000 value has AMC and GameStop in it. Um, GameStop grew through to its second biggest holding, but because the index only keeps stocks that have uh, evaluations of $2 billion or less, 
it's going to rebalance GameStop and AMC out of it. And it's going to send it up to the Russell 1000. So then it becomes the Russell 1000's problem when GameStop and AMC start crashing and um, uh, Russell 2000 value already locked in the profits, right? So you want to look for indexes that are self-cleansing in the sense that they have a, a, a strict guideline that they follow. Uh, some actively managed or even passively managed indexes that call themselves passively managed, but they're really actively managed. Um they, they try to time it or buy and sell, and they might not have the broadest diversification. So maybe they don't have all the winners in small cap value because the Russell 2000 value holds uh, 1,500 holdings, right? So it's got a lot of different holdings, and only one or two of those might pop off in a year. But if they do, they're really going to drive up the performance. So that's why I like that one. But um, again, sorry, I didn't pronounce your name correctly there. But do your research into the indexes. Find one that you're comfortable with and kind of make your own assessments. All right, we got Steven back in the house. See, our 22-year-old all-star has got 60% FZROX, 10% FNILX, 10% FZILX, 15% for growth index such as FS Max. All right, so, yeah, I mean, you probably heard my spiel uh, when I was addressing, I uh, forgot who I was talking to, uh, talking about the, the growth stuff. <sighs> it's fine if you if you believe in growth and you can hold it as long as, as it takes. Yeah. But I personally think you'd be better served in value, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lean you to make changes. The first rule that I said at the beginning of this thing is don't tinker, don't tinker with your portfolio. So, uh, Steven, if you believe in a man, you've let that thing ride. All right. We got Robert in the house, Robert Pearson, child Roth IRA that won't be touched for 50 years. What do you recommend for the type of long-term investments? Oh man, this see. So we had Steven, the 22 year old uh, stud. Now we got Robert talking about a custodial Roth IRA. Man, this is going to be some 50 year. I'm thinking it's going to be more of the child Roth. I mean, unless they're going to retire maybe earlier, but I would say let that Roth go till they're 65 or got my hat crooked again. Let that Roth go until they're 65 or something, Robert. But what I recommend, um, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Steven. If it was me, uh, and I'm going to have a kid on the way, I will make sure my kid works so we can get that custodial Roth set up. Um, I would do, and this is just me personally, um, I would do a a very, very aggressive uh, mix of large cap blend on the US, large cap blend international, and then small cap value. Something along the lines of 60% U.S., 20% international, 20% small cap value. What I do personally now in my portfolio is what I'm, what I'm going to personally recommend to my kid. Um, do some research into that strategy and see if you like it. It's very aggressive. I'm going to warn you right now. It's very aggressive. It doesn't sound aggressive. It doesn't sound intimidating. It sounds like a pansy portfolio. Uh, but some of the uh, historical data on that portfolio uh, is outperforms the S&P, give or take, by about half to 1% compounded annually. Again, compounded annually over 50, 60 years on a portfolio that could be valued a couple of million. That's, that's a huge chump change. Um, so uh, be wise with it. Do not put it in, you know, if, if you can't decide what to put it in, it's never wrong just to put in a large cap blend, total market or S&P. You're not going to be steered wrong doing that. It's just, do you want to get some little additional growth or do you not? It's going to be up to you, right? But man, this is some beautiful stuff. This is what we need more on YouTube. We need people talking about these 
types of strategies. This is how you guys are going to win financially. Custodial Roth IRA untouched for 50 years. That's how you win. That's it doesn't matter what you put in that thing. That thing Here's a, here's another quote. Let me I have a quote that I wrote down. Every horse will get you to the finish line. Some will just get there faster. If you want to look at index funds or ETFs as horses, uh, you got the Kentucky Derby. Every horse crosses the finish line. One wins, but the other one's right behind them. It's not like they're that far apart. So whether you go S&P or total market or small cap value, large cap growth, that horse is going to cross the finish line. And after 50 years, man, that's going to be a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, thing waiting for you at the end of that finish line. So great question. And thanks so much for bringing up custodial Roth IRAs. We've got to be talking more about this. If you have kids, you better be having 529 uh, education accounts. You better be having custodial IRAs, UTMA accounts. Start teaching your kids about money as well. All right, our man, Jimmy, don't you think there's a correlation between the margin debts at all-time high and high price of growth stocks? How's the margin debt going to affect the market? Yeah, Jimmy, I touched on this. There is a there is a correlation with interest rates. Again, it's me speculating because it happened in the past. Doesn't mean it's going to happen in the future. But historically, yes, when there is high debt um, and, the, and the interest rates start to rise, uh, the capital that firms borrow to grow becomes more expensive. Therefore, growth fizzles out. But it's 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 very speculative, right? Is FISVX worth getting into? Uh, it's Malik, man. Hey, what's up, Malik? Um, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't wanna uh, how do I say this in a nice way. It's probably not worth getting into right now. And uh, I don't want to sound like a market timer, right? But this thing's run up. When I first started talking about this fund on my channel, you guys can go on and look at my videos. Uh, FISVX had a negative 14% return in the one-year mark, right? And now it's got a 79 or 80% return in the one-year mark. So it was worth getting into when I was talking about it. It's still worth getting into if you're going to hold it long-term. I'm just afraid that if I tell you it's worth getting into, you're going to get into it and it's going to do something like negative 30% in one year and you're not going to stay in it, right? Because it will. It's highly volatile. Anything that goes up 70, 80% in one year, you better believe is going to come back down 70, 80% in a year. Um, and you really got to really, really condition yourself to hold that. Um, so again, not trying to sound like a market timer, but if you're going to hold it for 30 years, I'm going to tell you it's worth it. If it's at all time highs or all time lows, it doesn't matter to me. It's worth it. If you're looking to make a quick buck, it's not, not worth it at all because you know, you probably just, it's not worth it. All right. We got, uh, I don't want to lose you guys here or uh, Mr. Barry. See what Mr. Barry says. Uh, at 22, a person just needs FXKX, FZLX, or FSPs. You got it. That's ex- Yes, I will agree with you this time, Mr. Barry. Uh, yeah, that is solid advice right there. Um, yeah, guys, again, don't reinvent the wheel. I mean, you got oh, 22. You got so much freaking time on your hands. Just buy the market and sit on it for the next 50 years, and you're going to be a millionaire. Like, it's so simple. A caveman can do it. Um, but for some reason, a lot of us can't get it right. So good advice, Mr. Barry. Can you explain why capital distributions are so bad for taxable accounts? Um, yeah, I can, uh, Michael. So 
like I like I touched on earlier, and let's see how we're doing on time, man. Because man, I have so much, guys. I have so much fun doing these. I lose track of time. Eight thirty. So I've been going for an hour and a half for some change. I'll uh, I'll probably make this another half hour, and then I'm gonna sign off. Um, but can I explain why capital distributions are so bad for a taxable account? So. Let's say you hold a fund that distributes capital distributions twice a year. The way I want you to look at cash capital distributions is kind of like REITs, but you know how I did the REIT example? I said the company passes the income tax on to you. Uh, so the company you know, makes a profit, but they pass the profit on to you and they don't pay taxes, but you do. So the same thing is with capital distributions. If let's say FS uh, Max just paid, uh, what did it pay? Like $6 a share, $5.95 a share. Its share price went down by $6 a share when it paid out that capital distribution. So if FMAX, and I don't know if this is what they're trading at, but I'll just use an easy number. If FMAX was trading at $10 a share, it paid out a capital distribution of $5 a share. The new price for FMAX is $5 a share. You get 5 bucks in your account, right? You get the $5 for the distribution that it paid out. You probably take the $5, Michael, and you invest it back into FMAX and you buy one share of FMAX at $5 a share. That's a net sum of zero. You're still holding two $5 shares or previous to the distribution, you were holding one $10 share. So it's a net sum of zero. You didn't make out any. I mean, you got an extra share, but your share is worth the exact amount. Your two shares are worth the exact amount as your one share. The problem with the taxable account comes at the end of the year, you're going to get a little tax form from Fidelity. It's going to have your capital distribution on there. And it's going to be, if you, let's say, easy numbers. Again, you have $1,000 or 1,000 shares of F max. That's 1,000 times five, right? So you're going to have $5,000 in capital distributions, right? On that 5,000, if it's a long-term so on that 5000 depending on how FMAX held those shares that it bought and sold, if it were short-term or long-term, you might owe 15 to 30%, depending. They had, they, Fidelity does a really good job breaking this down on the tax forms. But you see, it's not a net sum of zero anymore because now you owe the government taxes on this capital distribution, but that you didn't even want. You didn't want the sale to happen. So that's really the inefficiencies of active management and high turnover funds. And I tell you guys, stay out of high turnover and taxable if you can, because you're losing now 15, at the very minimum, you're losing 15% to taxes uh, and you didn't gain anything, right? So that's why they're bad. Um, and if you did this in a tax in a tax protector, like a Roth, you end up with a net sum of zero. Great. Nobody, nobody's heard, but, um, and ETFs don't, do not do this by the way, because again, ETFs are ETFs are traded like stocks, um, so there is no capital distributions uh, on them. So that's one of the advantages of having ETFs in a taxable. All right, we got JG1. What's the big difference between FSPGX and FNILX? Both large cap growth. Does FZIPZX? Okay, so they're not both large cap growth. So FNILX is large cap blend. FSPGX is large cap growth. Uh, the difference, I think I explained this earlier, but the difference is large cap growth is primarily the same as the large cap blend right now, except the weighting of the top 10 is like 40 or 50%, uh, meaning that the 10 biggest companies make up the majority of FSPGX. 
while the large cap blend might have a little more of a value in it uh, in in the top ten, like a Johnson and Johnson or some of the other large cap value stocks. So that's really the primarily the biggest difference. But they overlap a whole heck of a lot. Uh, probably over sixty percent is overlap. Uh, does FZIPZ and FI FI? I don't know what FZIPZ is. You stumped me too. Let's take a look. FZIPZ. Are you guys just creating funds to make fun of me? Because I don't I just I think you you guys are trying to make fun of me because there is no FZIPZ. It says no results found. Um, maybe you misspelled it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, if it overlaps with small cap value, I'm not sure what it is. We got Lou in the house. Hi, Mookie. Any picks for dividend fixed income funds and ETFs for you for us middle aged farts? Hey, man, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm not that young. Um, so, Lou, for fixed income, um, somebody said this at the beginning, uh, way at the beginning of the live stream, but they recommended SCHD. It's a large value. I think it's got a yield of like 3 or 3.5%. Um, I like – here's how I how I like to think of it again. And I'm probably the wrong person to ask this because I'm not a dividend guy at all. But if you are looking for fixed income, you should be probably in like a total bond market, uh, maybe e- either in a, in a mixture of short and, and intermediate treasury bonds, maybe a little bit of inflation uh, protected bonds. But along those lines, maybe even a little bit of corporate bonds if you're looking for fixed income. Um, as far as dividends, I'm going to tell you probably it's not good to tilt towards dividends, um, but a lot of ETFs, a lot of large cap value type ETFs do pay dividends. Um, so you can get a higher yield investing in those. Of course, your performance will suffer with the market. They're not, uh, while they might not uh, go up as uh, as fast as the market, they do come crashing down just as fast. So it's not like you know dividend ETFs uh, didn't crash in 2008. They did. Um, so I would stick more when you're talking about fixed income and, you know, middle aged again, I'm guessing you're 40, 50, uh, probably sticking like 20%, 30%, depending on your risk tolerance to some type of bond funds, index bond funds. Uh, if you're looking for fixed income, the problem comes with that. We're in an environment with such low interest rates. It doesn't pay really well to hold fixed income. But it does from a risk standpoint. So that's kind of my recommendation to you. Hopefully that helps. Um, Let's see what we got. Jared coming in with clutch on this quote. One of my favorite uh, Jack Bogle quotes. Don't do something. Just stand there. I wish I could say in the Jack Bogle voice. Amen, Jared. I'm going to toast to that one with my green apple juice. This is uh, how how I want you guys to think about investments. Uh, what was the first rule I said? Uh, here's my quote, Jared. Don't tinker with your portfolio. That's my quote. But the same thing that uh, John Bogle says, don't do something, just stand there. We have this undesirable urge to do stuff. I mean, got to make the best thing. You know, What's the best thing? And in doing that, we're just picking the worst things at the worst possible times. Um, so yeah, great, great advice. If you take anything away from this almost two-hour live stream tonight, Take this away. Don't do something. Just stand there um, before you make any changes or don't tinker. Peter Bell says, got into F 
ISVX at 20%, 31 years old, holding for the long term. Amen. Hey, me and you, we're both 31. We're both third, uh, 20% uh, value. We're both holding long term. Uh, in uh, 20 years or 30 years, I will have a millionaire meetup uh, here with all of us index investors. Uh, it's going to take us a long time to become millionaires. I'm not going to lie to you guys. But uh, you know, in 20 years, we'll have a meetup in Peter Bell. I will see you there, sir. Steven says, I think J1 meant FZIPX. Ah, FZIPX. Okay, so is there overlap between FZIPX and FISVX? There is. Um, what did I pull up for FZIPX? I think that it had maybe 30% or 40% in small cap. Uh, FZIPX is the uh, zero extended market. Let me pull it back up. And let's take a look. Wait, FZIPX, right? FZIPX, yep. FZIPX. I'm just going to show you guys how much it has because remember when I pulled up FISVX, it had like 45% in small cap value and 45% in small cap blend, right? So let's pull up FZIPX and see where the overlap is. Again, this is just a quick way to figure it out. I need you to dig deeper than this. This should not be the only thing you research. But if you're trying to, like, if you're stumped between, hey, do I go into FZIPX or do I go into FIZ, FISVX, this is the way you want to look into first to see how close are they. And you'll probably see they're about 60% probably close or 40% close. Oh, I was wrong, even less. So, yeah, about 40, 41% of FZIPX is small value and small blend, right? So there's a 40% overlap. So I don't recommend, by the way, holding both of these. I do know of, I think he's a private member, maybe I'm wrong, uh, that's holding FZIPX instead of FI, uh, instead of FISVX uh, to create like a 60-20-20, which is perfectly fine. But don't, I wouldn't hold them again together just because that 40%. Um, you're just taking on a little more risk. Why not get all the risk out of small value, right? It's going to potentially be the better performer long-term. Maggie Lee, what about target date index funds from FIDR? What's FIDR? Fidelity? Target date index funds? If that's what you're talking about, uh, Maggie, I like the Fidelity Freedom target date index funds. Make sure that they're the index version. Fidelity conveniently um, named their freedom funds, their target date funds, the actively managed ones, and the index funds, they call them freedom funds. So make sure it's the freedom index funds. Those are the ones you're talking about. I like it. Uh, like I told the young lady at the beginning of this live stream, if you don't want to be a nerd like me and spend hours and hours and hours, and in my case, almost a whole year of just fully devoted, I'm talking about like 40 hours a week into this stuff. Just buy the dang target date index fund and you're going to still do better than like 80, 90% of the investors out here who are buying individual stocks and spec, spec stocks and cryptos and gold. And so, you're still going to do better than those people. So yeah, I, I, I like that as a, as a long term, especially for people that want to be hands off. Got Jake M saying, with your suggestion, I would be 50 CACs, 20 and 30 VIX. This is very aggressive. However, I'm 19 and 46 times. Is that really much more in comparison to what you hold? Yes, it is, Jake. So 
here's here's the crazy part, right? And this is this is where it gets super crazy. How powerful small again, guys. Full disclaimer, and I'm gonna have to repeat myself 50 times. Historically, it's been like this. I don't know what it's gonna be like in the future, but historically, if you if you had a, a 30% tilt to small versus a 20% tilt, you're looking at an additional half a percent compounded annually. That's a big deal over uh, for a 19-year-old with a 46-year time horizon. A half a percent is going to be another million dollars. So, Jake, it's a million-dollar decision based off previous data. If you go 30% or if you go 20%. Again, I give you that you know in the future it's going to be half a million, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about and. Check out Paul Merriman's website if you want to. I have the link to, to his website. He's got a 90-year track record for all the all the big categories, large blend, large value, small blend, small value, international. He's got 90-year performance on these things. And look at the compound annual growth rates. And yes, they do make a difference. Pull up an investment calculator and look up half a percent compounded annually over 46 years with a portfolio that's going to be a couple of million dollars because at 19 years old, uh, if you're doing this stuff at 19 years old uh, and you do it right, uh, you're going to be not a millionaire, you're going to be a multimillionaire, maybe a decamillionaire if you keep uh, on that path. So yeah, it does make a difference. And it is very, I like how you highlighted the word or capitalize the word very, this is very aggressive because like I told Mr. Barry earlier, you will spend plenty of time underperforming the market and you have to be okay with that. And you have to understand that is a guarantee it's going to happen. And if you can't hold through those times, then don't even tilt, just get, get out of small value and, and have your FX CACs and FTIHX and be done with it. Um, but if you're okay with, with taking that extra risk and being super, super, super aggressive, it could mean a difference of half a percent, uh, 20% versus 10%, and half a percent over 46 years could mean a million uh, dollar difference in your portfolio. So again, that's if everything panders how it was, it pans out how it was historically, the future is uh, unpredictable. Private member Kevin says, I have heard the argument that there's a role for active management emerging market funds. There's no good index funds to reflect thoughts yeah, I've heard that argument too, Kevin. Uh, sounds like an argument from active managers who are trying to steal some of the market share because they're losing out to index funds badly. Um, you are right, though, in a sense. Uh, emerging markets are, are tricky uh, to index because they're super unpredictable. They're super volatile. And generally, I mean, a country stays. And when you look at, for example, like I've looked at some of the active managed ones, They've gone to be, uh, why is my hat keep tilting? They've gone to be some of the best performing ones. And then six months later, they've been some of the worst performing ones. So I, I still don't like the case for active management and emerging markets, but I do see, yeah, there is a case to be made because of how volatile emerging markets is. Um, I, I still don't like the case for active management. And as far as emerging markets goes on the index side, I like uh, like uh, the FTIHX has about 20, 25% to it. FZILX has 20, 25% to it. I think they do a good enough job. You don't need more. Um, I'm sure somebody can make the argument you do because it performs really well, but I, I, I don't like it. It sounds like a bunch of active management stuff. Uh, sounds like a bunch of active managers who believe they can outperform, which I'm sure they can because it's, again, 
emerging markets and its nature of how volatile it is, there's some inefficiencies that active management can expose that indexes can't. I just, I can't see it long-term being justified. But again, that's just my opinion. Maggie Lee, should I add S&P? I don't know, Maggie. It's uh, your call. Do what you think is best. I don't know. Research advice, which source to trust, which books to read or reread or learn new topics of. Research advice. So I got most of my initial research um, in 2000. So when I really got serious, yeah, maybe it's a little story time. How much time we got? <laughs> I'll tell you guys a little story. Hopefully this tells you how I got all this stuff in my head now. So the first book that I read on investing was Jack Bogle's book. It was called The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. That's such a powerful title. Little book. It's a, And it is. It's a really little book. I wish I could show it to you. It's on my bookshelf over there. But it's a little book and it's packed with common sense investing advice. So Jack Bogle um, was the first uh, source of, of my investing information. Of course, I mean, I used to watch the YouTube guys. Even back then, believe it, in 2018, there was YouTube people pushing stocks, pushing stuff, buy this, buy that. Bitcoin just crashed, buy this, all, all that stuff. Um, so I did watch a lot of those guys, a lot of dividend people. I watched all that. and uh, But Jack Bogle is probably my biggest source of information. I read all of his books. I highly recommend if you are a serious index investor. If you're a nerd about this, to read at least the little book of common sense investing, but even something like Bogle on mutual funds, uh, while it's an older book, it was uh, published in the late eighties or early nineties. Um, it's really Jack Bogle explaining how to break down a mutual fund from expense ratios to turnover rates, capital distributions, tax inefficiencies, active management, all that stuff is in, in that book is called Bogle on mutual funds is in the books. So it's not somebody's opinion. It's not like a YouTuber. And I put myself in this category, guys. When I come on here, I have an opinion on, on index funds and I, I share my opinion. But don't listen to me. Like, who, Don't listen to me. I'm just spewing my opinion. Because it works for me doesn't mean it works for you. So I go to trusted sources like that. Uh, so books I use, uh, again, I've read uh, very simple books too. So like if you read uh, The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, um, JL Collins, by the way, is another brilliant mind when it comes to index investing, but those are all books that tilt more towards index funds. I've also read other people's books to get other opinions. So I read Ray Dalio's book, uh, it's called principles. Um, Ray Dalio was a big, uh, commodities trader back in the eighties and nineties. And he believes in, in diversification to a whole nother degree. But I, I, I wanted to read his stuff because I wanted to further my knowledge. So I've read his work. Um, I'm trying to think of some other people. Uh, Dave Ramsey is a guy that I've read again to get out of debt. Dave Ramsey's great. Don't listen to Dave Ramsey's investment advice. Unfortunately, it falls a uh, very short. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I'm not going to say anything, but it's not good advice in my opinion. So, but I have read his total money makeover, uh, smart kids, smart money, all those types of, uh, uh books about money principles, uh, because I am a big believer, you know, investing is great, but if you don't have your money, right, uh, you're investing for no reason. You know, if you can't, you know, uh, and I tell this to, to you guys too, in the private member side, if you guys can't, uh, put aside, you know, like 20, 30% to really put aside for investments, then, you know, all that other stuff is kind of micro investing. So it's very important to get your money, right. Get out of debt, stay out of debt. Uh, 
if you have to buy, I don't budget, but you know, if you want to budget aggressively budget, I just say my investments go first, whatever I have left after investments I spend. So I live off basically the goal is to pay, you know, invest 50% of my income and pay taxes and live off the other 50%. So those are some of the books and some of the sources um, to, to learn of new topics uh, or learn new topics of uh, new topics that here's the thing, right too, Eric, uh, this is interesting because, and maybe this is a fault of mine, but once you learn uh, what you need to learn and in investing, you don't need to learn a lot. You need to learn probably, I would say a good, maybe if you spend 10, 15 hours, you can learn everything you need to learn with investing. But once you learn it, do not reinvent the wheel and look for some kind of alternative strategies because you're going to find them, right? Like wall street is trying to sell you everything and anything. Like it's like, look at this next shiny thing. Um, this year we've seen the year of crypto, uh, the, the year before that, I don't even know what it was. The, the year of SPACs was the year before that. And now the year of meme stocks and every year has a new fad, you know, and I'll lump arc investment to this has a new fad thematic investing. Uh, you know, just, you don't need, I, in my opinion, again, you don't need this stuff. It's like when you go to a buffet, right? And you got all this food, uh, you just need the healthy stuff. You need the, you know, the, the steak, uh, the, not the steak, the, uh, the protein and, and, and the carbs and, and the fats and a, and a healthy, healthy allocation. But then, you know, you got the sugary cake or you got the alcoholic beverage or you got all these other things. You don't need that stuff. You could still, you know, survive and thrive and probably live a really long life just eating the, the healthy foods at the buffet. And if you just, you know, ignore the rest of the food, you're going to be just fine. So that's how I look at investing. There's always going to be something new that somebody's trying to push. And it's funny, you know, gold conversations come up a lot uh, when there's inflation fears and then gold disappears because historically gold done like three, three and a half percent compounded annually. That's terrible. Um, same thing with like, you know, some of these uh, stocks that run up 100, 300%, they come up as they've run up already. And then, you know, these freaking YouTubers, and this is one thing, uh, if, if you guys just stop watching these people, why, like some of the advice that these guys give is just terrible, terrible advice. And they should not be a good source of information. I should not be a good source of information. I, I have no credentials. Neither do, do any of these people we watch, right? So don't don't watch these people and think like, oh my God, this is the next. No, they have no credential. They're just like me. They're sitting in their office filming and live streaming. There's no credentials there. So those are not good people to trust. Read books from people that have actually been investors and have been in the market. And uh, like Jack Bogle, who actually freaking created Vanguard, he created his own uh, he created his own type of fund when when he created the index fund in 1975. So, you know, study people like that and ignore these uh, wannabe day traders or uh, meme stock pushers, 10x stock pushers, whatever the case may be. But not to get on a rant, I'm trying to stay off rants lately. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my personal opinion. That's what I think uh, you should do. Uh, did I just lose your comment? I did. All right. What do you think of FSAGX May? FS. Man, you guys are stumping me today. FSAGX. I don't even know what these funds are. Oh, no. Oh, May. This is just perfect. Again, May, nothing against you. I just saw, I found out this is the gold fund. Nothing against you. You probably just heard my rant, right? So um, I'm just going to politely take this comment off. 
And uh, you already probably know my thoughts on what I think about it. How do you fail? How do I fail? How do I feel about VOQ? Love VOQ. Uh, QQQ. Um, I shared earlier, Kona, how I felt about it. Um, I'm not a fan of it personally, but uh, if, if you missed what I said, I had a, probably a little 10 minute session talking about the NASDAQ composite index and I'll lump QQQ into there, even though it's the NASDAQ 100, and uh, you'll see how I feel about it. All right, let's move on to Mr. Osman. Is buying 50% FFAIX and the 2050 Fidelity Target A Fund 50% FIPFX? Does that sound strange? I've been doing this for six months with gains. Um, does it sound strange? So it's not that it's strange. It's that you're, you're creating... Are you talking about FXAIX or FFAIX? See, I don't know if you guys are misspelling these funds or if these are real funds because I've never heard of FFAIX. I just want to make sure before I continue, there is no FFF, FFAIX. Yeah, no results found. You probably mean FXAIX. So what you're doing, if you look at the 2050 target date fund, FIPFX, and I'll show you this live too, um, FIPFX. kick you guys into my fancy schmancy recorded screen here we go all right so this fund is a large blend uh, as far as the um, investments and of course it does have uh, bonds as well because target date funds will have bonds and a 2050 is probably I'm guessing gonna have 10 15 percent bonds maybe even more but let's let me break it down for you, and I'll explain to you exactly what you're doing uh, uh, right here as soon as this loads. So if you're doing 50% FXAIX, which is a large blend, you already have probably 50% in large blend in the U.S. side already within this fund. Let's take a look if this thing would ever load. Yeah, so here's your U.S. equity. You have 54% already in this Freedom Fund, this Freedom Index Fund in basically large cap blend on the U.S. side. So what you're doing by doing another 50% this and 50% large cap blend is you're over tilting this freedom fund to have more U.S. equity um, is all you're doing, right? Because it has 54% on the U.S. It's got uh, 34% international. Oh, it does. It's only 10% on the bond side. Um, so does that make sense? I mean, I know you've been doing it with gains. So if it makes sense to you to over tilt to U.S. value than what the uh, than what the um, target date fund's doing, then I guess keep doing what you're doing. So um, hopefully that helps answer that question for you, sir. Uh, says thanks for all you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is my bread and butter. I, I, I I'm an educator at heart. I love teaching people. Again, I'm not selling you on anything. If you don't like the stuff that I'm saying. It's my opinion. You don't have to like it. I actually encourage you not to like and copy anything I do because my strategy and your strategy are probably going to be two different time horizons, two different risk tolerances. We're two different people. Um, so yeah, absolutely. But I appreciate you with the questions. You guys are trying to get to everybody's questions before I sign off here. Um, there's been talks of inflation happening. How will this affect the small cap value slash growth and the S&P 500? 
Um, again, not to speculate, we talked a little bit about inflation. I think you probably uh, came in a little bit later in the live stream. We talked about inflation earlier. I don't speculate on whether there will or won't. Man, my cat keeps tilting. I won't speculate on whether there will or won't be uh, inflation. Historically, what has happened in inflationary times, they're going to be bad for investors, right? So uh, one way you hedge against inflation is by investing. Um, if you just keep your money, obviously, in the bank, you're going to lose out to inflation. But inflation also, uh, how do I say this? Inflation hurts real returns. So real returns are returns after inflation, being after their inflation adjusted, and they're historically been two and a half to three percent lower than what the actual returns of the of the S and P five hundred have been uh, because inflation, right? So it's not a good thing. But um, we don't want to speculate in it either because short term inflation is one thing. So we've seen short term inflation the last six months. Short-term inflation is there. If you follow the CPI or the uh, TIPS uh, Inflation Protected Index bond fund, its yield has gone up to, or its return has gone up like 6% uh, year to date, right? So that shows that there is inflation. But that's in the short term. understand why that is, right? So we had something happen last year that was unpredictable and it shut down the economy and it put uh, a lot of uh, manufacturing to a halt. Uh, and when you put manufacturing to a halt, there's going to be shortage, uh, a supply shortage. And when there's a supply shortage, it usually means demand is high, price of everything skyrockets. So that's, again, to be expected when you shut the economy down. If it, this is going to hurt the economy long term, I don't know. I mean, nobody knows. That's the thing about this. We don't know what the future will. So if it continues to be short, uh, uh, inflation going forward, it's not going to be good for us, the investors, because our real returns are going to be much lower. Even if these index funds, if you look at, uh, you know, in the 70s, the S&P 500 or even small cap value, for example, right? Because we had a huge inflation scare um, in, in the 70s. Small cap value did 32% compounded annually in that decade, something like that. Of course, because there was like a, I think uh, the prime rate at that, at the highest was like 13 or 14%. If you take that 30% and you take off the real return, the real return of small cap value was something like 15%. So yeah, the number looks really good, but because of the high inflation, the real return is still 14, 13%, which historically small cap value does 13, 13 and a half. So it's about the same, right? Um, the real risk with inflation is not being invested uh, because then you're for sure going to be losing out. Again, short-term inflation, you won't. doesn't matter. But long-term, yeah, if you're not an investor, you're going to be losing out. Um, and then how will this affect small cap value growth in S&P? Again, it, it just affects it by lowering the real return of your investments. Uh, thank you. You got it. Uh, Jake says, I'm very familiar with Paul Merriman and the Fama and French research. So I think I'm going to go with that and hold. Thanks for the help. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Fama in French, by the way, guys, that's I forgot to mention, Eric, you asked me uh, uh, about researching new topics. I read their academic paper to uh, cross section returns. Again, if you want to be a real nerd about this and you guys, the average person watching me, you guys don't have to do this. But if you want to be really nerd about this and get really down to the academia of things, read the cross uh, uh, the cross section of returns. Or expected returns. I forgot the name of the of the. Uh, I forgot the name of the the paper. Now is nineteen ninety two is when they wrote it. But you can just Google Fama and French factor model or factor three model when they came up with it. And this is where they came up with the idea. I'm just gonna for all of you non nerds. I'm gonna break it down for you real quick. Is 
they found out there's basically three factors. Now it's moved to five, but originally there's three factors that influence stock market returns and that drive up the premium or what the uh, expected return would be. The first thing is, is stock market risk, right? So they figured out that a person that invests in the stock market can expect a higher premium than a person that doesn't invest in the stock market. Common sense will tell us, yes, if you stay in cash, you're going to return 1%. If you stay in stocks, you're going to return 7 8%. Boom. There's a premium paid for taking on additional risk by being in the stock market. That's common sense. The second factor they found was there's actually a size premium. Size premium was that the smaller the company, the higher the premium. Of course, the higher the risk as well. So it's, it's, it's sort of like a risk-adjusted premium. So like small cap value, or I'm sorry, not even small cap value, but small caps are historically have done better than large caps. When you think of why why this is, it's it's quite simple when you break it down. Uh, small caps are a lot more riskier, right? So investors should be paid a premium on their capital for taking those additional risks. Now, in five years and 10 years, that might not be the case. And as we've seen in the last bull run from 2010 to 2020, Small cap investors were not paid a premium. If you were in large caps, you did much, much better. Um, so some people were saying, well, you know, the Fama and French model is dead or the, the, the size premiums dead. It's not true. And then this year just flipped on his head and small cap outperformed the large caps by double. Right. So it's not dead. It just there there is market inefficiencies and there is periods of time that the market doesn't do what it's supposed to do in the short term. That's normal. It, if if we knew what it was going to do in the short term, we'd all be richer than we are, but we don't. Um, and then the last, not to uh, overburden you guys with information, but the last factor they found is the uh, value versus growth factor. So they found there is a better premium paid on value stocks versus growth stocks. Again, the simple explanation for this, not to get into too much detail, is if you think of what a value stock is, it's a stock that's undervalued compared to whatever the intrinsic value is of that stock. So let's say company A is worth $20 a share, but it's trading for 15 for whatever reason. We don't know. I'm not make up a reason, right? So they're trading below their intrinsic value, below what their fair market value price is. Or company B, Tesla, <coughs> ARC, <coughs> all those types of funds are trading above what their intrinsic value is. So they, they have... Uh, priced in a lot of future growth, right? So if you think about future expected growth, which one would be higher for a company that is under its fair value price or a company that's trading at a multiple way above its fair value price? What do you think in the future will happen? The company that's undervalued would is expected to return better. And historically, it's been that way. It hasn't always worked out that way. Again, the last 10 years, growth has beaten up on value. It just has. But again, I, I challenge you to zoom out and look at, you know, 30, 40, 50 year periods and you're going to see it's not the case. Again, in the future, either or can happen. I don't know. But this is very good academic stuff if you want to read into it. Um, if not, that's fine as well. Uh, Jimmy J's got a recommendation, The Richest Man of Babylon. That's a very good book, too. Uh, it's kind of like a, it's a old, it's written not in old English, but it's an older book. Um, it's really good about you know how to handle money and how to be smart with money. Um, again, not like it doesn't give money advice, but it gives just the um, how do I say this without spoiling the book? It just gives like the overall um, 
um, common sense advice on on how to, how to handle money, basically. Um, James T says, love your videos. I work at one of the big four accounting firms, auditing private equity, mutual funds, et cetera. Keep up the videos coming. By the way, I own FXAX and 401k and FSKX and Roth IRA. Awesome, James. Uh, thanks so much for the comments. Uh, love both of those funds. I own both of those funds too. Awesome. Um, Kona says, I like the richest man of Babylon also. Man, very popular book. You guys should read it. It's a, it's a, it's a good read. It's a short read. Um, says Dave Ramsey is great at lighting the fire to get out of debt. Once you get out of debt, follow someone else's investment advice. Both start. Daniel, I couldn't agree more. Again, nothing against Dave Ramsey. I think the man's changed my life. His uh, his money principles have really helped me um, be a better steward with money and, and really grow my wealth. So I owe a lot of that to Dave Ramsey. But again, and I, I might make some people angry, but it comes to investment advice. Unfortunately, I, I don't follow his investment advice. Um, how about the intelligent investor? Um, I read that book. So intelligent investor was written by um, Warren Buffett's mentor. Why am I spazzing on his name now? Graham. Uh, I'm spazzing on his name. It's late, guys. Um, anyways, it's a book that was written by um, Warren Buffett's um, mentor. And it talks about really uh, value investing. Uh, but it's written again on the premise of searching for individual stocks, um, and I, I, I read it, but I don't think it's it's one of books that I would recommend personally. But yeah, it's a hard read too. But if you want to read it, knock yourself out. I have been investing in dividend growth stocks. Okay, yeah, so that's why probably the intelligent investor uh, dividend growth stocks are technically value stocks. So makes sense. Got some a lot of uh, book recommendations. Yeah, the Peter Lynch one up on Wall Street. Every investor should read this book. Uh, I respect Peter Lynch a lot. Um, I've studied Peter Lynch a lot too myself. Um, he's one of the greats in investing. Probably won't be another one like him, but uh, good. Ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund from 1977 to 1991 or 90. Um, I forget the year now, but uh, he, he doubled the returns of the S&P. One uh, fact about the uh, Fidelity Magellan Fund. So uh, Peter Lynch, as great as he was, doubled the returns of the S&P 500. Hear this. But the average investor in his fund <laughs> lost money. This goes back to speculation and people just trading like crazy. You have a fund. If you just would have bought and hold it from 1977 to 1990, you would have doubled the returns of the S&P. Instead, people were buying and selling. Because again, to double the returns of the S&P, I'm sure Peter Lynch experienced a lot of volatility and that scared a lot of people. And unfortunately, they did not make a lot of money in that fund. All right, let's see. Says no SPACs, no cryptos, no NFTs. I like it. I like it. I mean, if you want to invest in it, do it, but I'm, don't listen to me. But uh, I know I didn't build uh, the wealth that I did by investing in that stuff. So I'm going to stick to what I know. I like looking at charts sometimes year by year. Uh, that's, uh, I don't like doing that, but okay. What do you think about Chuck? Carnival, I don't see you guys are getting me plenty of stuff, but uh, it's probably not important, that's why I don't know it. 
Uh, here we go. Here's a good question. Shadow King, what do you think about dividend investing? So I have a I have a video. I think it's called The Truth About Dividend Growth Investing. And it's got it's an easy one to find. It's got Warren Buffett as a thumbnail. Uh, greatest value investor, right, of all time, Warren Buffett. And I'm talking about dividend investing. So historically, and again, in all the academic research I did. The dividend factor is not a factor that uh, that you could tilt to that can say uh, that it has some uh, premium that pays where it outperforms, right? And I've shown you guys in that video, if you want to watch it, I use, again, I don't have a track record for a lot of these ETFs because they've only been around for 10 or 15 years, but I use very uh, popular ETFs like WYM, the Vanguard High Dividend, uh, SCHD, and I use uh, dividend-paying companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Verizon, AT&T, and I show you their historic performance. Now, for the stocks, I, I went back to 1990, and believe it or not, so some of the greatest dividend plays you think are steel traps, like they're going to do well forever, like Pepsi underperformed the market, Coca-Cola underperformed the market, Verizon underperformed the market, AT&T underperformed bonds. So I don't like dividend investing, especially for a young person. I mean, why are you focusing on a dividend factor that doesn't show any higher expected premium than just a regular S&P 500 index fund? So I think most people were better off suited in the S&P 500 index fund. I can see the case, again, if you're trying to retire early and you need some dividend income to supplement income, again, those are more complex strategies. But for the average person, I don't think you should be tilting to dividend growth. Andy says, Mucky, thank you for doing this. Love watching the replay after this. What do you think about FZRX, FZILX versus FXCAX, international equivalent? So, Andy, this is a good question. So just to show you guys the difference, I have bought uh, this end of the year. I bought FZROX and FZILX in my traditional IRA, and I have FXCAX and FTIHX in my Roth IRA. Um, so I decided to be the guinea pig in the experiment. So we're going to see uh, when I do my portfolio update. Uh, I think I'll be having that coming out this Friday. I just uh, will be recording it tomorrow. But when I do my portfolio update, you'll see the six-month track record, and you'll see which one's done better. So I won't spoil it for you. But uh, just to be honest, it, it really doesn't matter. Either or is perfectly fine. I'm just trying to create some hype. That's all. Um, Stephen says, thanks for your advice. Looking forward to more of your videos soon. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Hey, we got a new member in the house. Robo Osman, thank you so much for the uh, becoming a Mookie Finance private member. Look at that green label you got there now. So big shout out. I'm going to make sure uh, after this uh I'm going to send you the Discord link. So now you can uh, chat with me in the Discord, just like we're chatting here. You get a little more private one-on-one time with me. So uh, that'll be fun. I'll introduce you to all the private community members. Uh, these are going to be people that have a good head on their shoulders. They're following uh, advice that I preach. They're doing uh, low-cost products, index and investing. They're not speculators. These are real investors. So uh, welcome to the family. Uh, looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better as well. Here's another one. Uh, Conscious giving a shout out to our new member. Uh, our probably our one of the Kevin is very active in the in the Discord. Conscious as well is very active in the Discord. Uh, very very smart individuals. Um, so looking forward to chatting that up. Uh, Michael says. If I'm making under 40K and have 0% long-term capital gains tax, it doesn't matter if I have index funds in my taxable account, right? Um, 
Yes and no. Talk to a CPA, though. I'm not going to get into tax advice. But yeah, at a certain tax bracket, you're not responsible for long-term capital gains tax, like if you make above a certain income. Again, I'm not a tax advisor. Talk to be about that, but yeah, there is some benefits to that. Uh, I wouldn't, um, how do I put this? I wouldn't aspire to make, uh, you know, under that bracket just to save on my taxable account. You should be out there making the most amount of money you can as far as your income so that you can invest more and grow your wealth faster. At least that's my opinion on that. Uh, let's see what Philip Lee says. Is FZRX better than managed account with loss harvesting? Thank you in advance. Okay, so this is again, Philip, more of a nuanced question that's probably depends on person to person. Um, by the way, guys, I'm not opposed to having a, a financial advisor if they're a fiduciary fee uh, financial advisor, someone's got your best interest in mind, not a stockbroker who, who works off commission, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and if your financial advisor is managing your account and implementing a little more of a of a advanced strategy like tax loss harvesting um, and probably providing you other retirement value, that's perfectly fine. And I'm sure the fee is justified, whether it's assets and management hourly or 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 a um or a, or a flat fee. Um, but if it's better or not, it depends on the person, right? It depends on how much money you got, what you're doing uh, with your tax bill and all that stuff. So it's it's up to you whether you think it's better. I can't answer it for me personally with the knowledge that I have. Um, I've interviewed with about five financial advisors now and all five of them, I, I felt like I would do a better job than they would at managing my portfolio. So I decided to continue managing my own, but I still talk to financial advisors. At least I just talked to one a couple of weeks ago that uh, gave me like a sort of like a free retirement look, uh, only fee, only fiduciary advisors. Um, and, you know, eventually I think eventually if my assets, you know, grow to 10, 15, 20 million. I don't know if they will or not, but eventually this thing will get so complex that it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion and it doesn't hurt to have somebody else kind of looking over your shoulders as long as you're in control and you know what's going on. But uh, that's sort of my take on it. It's a very tough question to answer though. Uh, Peter says, I respect that you are not into gold, but I can't find a good explanation on hold gold ETFs or taxes. Wait, I respect that you're not into gold, but I can't find a good explanation on Hold gold ETFs are taxes. I'm not sure, Peter, uh, if you want to rewrite it. I'm not sure what you mean there. Just buy and hold index and margin of safety stocks. What's a margin of safety stock? Explain that one to me. Uh, Been putting 135 a week into Fidelity Zero and FSKX. I love it. All right, Peter, I'm currently, I am 0% long-term, but I don't plan on staying there, so I still... I got you. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it goes back. I think I answered that question for somebody else as well. Um, So that is the last comment that I see here. So with that, hold the rest of your comments. Man, this live stream has been so much fun. Uh, Two and a half hours strong. Guys, I can talk about this stuff all night. I love it. Um, What I want you guys to do before I sign off, um, my voice is getting a little sore too, so I do have to go. If you can please, if you're not subscribed, as we just passed 7,000, but if you're not subscribed, you got any value, even the slightest bit of value. If you heard me talk for 10 minutes, hit that subscribe button. 
check out some of my other content. If you don't like it, just unsubscribe again. Uh, but that's all I ask for you guys. And then also hit that thumbs up button on your way out. This way, this live stream can get you know spread to more people on the replay. Also, I'm going to throw this onto my podcast. So if you want to throw this while you're working out or going for a walk or in your car, you can really listen to this entire live stream on my podcast episode. That's the Mookie Finance Show. You can find the link down in the description below. I want to thank everybody uh, for uh, your questions tonight, especially want to thank all of my private members because there's so much of you and we're a growing community. Let me pull up all the names because I do not want to miss if I, I would feel terrible if I even missed one of your names. Starting off the top, our oldest private member, Scott. I did not see you in here tonight, Scott, but I know you're out there living the life better than you deserve, right? <laughs> so great job, Scott. Kevin P., I saw Kevin all night here. Uh, Stanley Zod. Richard and Atelli, Beach Girl, Alex, uh, Buck, Conscious, Carnivore Nurse, Justin, JP, Deborah, and our newest member, if I remember the name, I already forgot, Robel Ozman. Robel, I will be sending you the invite to the Discord if you want to join us there. Um, we'll keep the chat going uh, tomorrow, and uh, I'll get you some of the other perks, such as the early access to my videos, so you guys will have uh, access to my videos before anybody else does. Uh, that's one of the additional perks of supporting the channel. And of course, you will get the shout out um, uh, in, in all my videos. Uh, thank all of you. I thank all you guys. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, you guys have been great. Uh, I can't put this show on without you. So thank you for all your questions. I had so much fun. Uh, until next time, guys, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.